of the human eye. Your leaders have withheld the truth. You are not alone in this universe. We have lived among you, hidden, but no more. If you resist us, we will destroy the world as you know it. Your world must not share the same fate as Cybertron. Whole generations lost. Megatron must be stopped, no matter the cost. Podcasts, Transformers, Retrospective Series. I would have waited an eternity for this. Hosted by our movie reviewers in disguise, Stuart, Jerry, and Arnie. One shall stand, one shall fall. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as they roll out a new Transformers movie review and see if they are more than meets the eye. What you're about to see is top secret. Do not tell my mother. But be warned, these reviews will contain spoilers and mild language. Listener discretion is advised. This isn't my war. Not yet, but I fear it soon will be. Ba weep grana weep ninibon. Today we're discussing Transformers. The last night. Thank God. <laughs> Do they promise? <laughs> Got my towelette out, wiping them all down. No, night with a K, not what you did last <laughs> night, N-I-G-H-T. Starring Marky Mark Wahlberg, Josh Duhamel, Stanley Tucci. Stan- yes, I said Stanley Tucci. And Anthony Hopkins, directed by Michael Bay. This is the co-host of Now Playing, who usually goes by Arnie. But today, you can call me Nemesis Podcaster. This is Stuart. Is that Stuart with the S, with a Z, with an emoji, or with a dollar sign? <laughs> and this is Jerry, and I am actually an inventor. Mm. What have you invented? Seriously, I have like 14 patents. I'm not kidding about that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you actually have given my wife things you've invented. <laughs> oh. That's true. Mm, is, do you have a patch to fix this broken faucet that I'm finding myself covered in? Oh, Transformers 5. We are right now at the 10th anniversary of this franchise. So mm. think about that. Five movies in 10 years. Not counting the animated one, which mm. came out. Right. But let's not count it. It didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly Transformers has grown up. Right now, I'm looking at you like you're a crazy man right now. This grew up. <laughs> Thanks to Marvel and DC and all of these franchises, this kind of change. Remember, the third movie was going to be Michael Bay's last. <laughs> and then the fourth movie was going to be Michael Bay's last. <laughs> but they now have... Can you guess how many Transformers films are in active stages of production? Zero. Higher. I know of three. Fourteen Transformers films are in various stages of development right now. <laughs> I think there's 35 in this movie. And... <laughs> When I say it grew up, what they did was they had a massive writer's room come together and say, 
tell us all these stories that we can make for Transformers and <laughs> map out a universe so we have these landmark event films. And this was a room that I would have liked to have gathered a lot of autographs in. It had Steven Spielberg, Michael Bay, Lorenzo Di Bonaventura, and then Robert Kirkman from The Walking Dead. The comic writer, Zach Penn, who did Pacific Rim 2, Jeff Pinkner, Gabriel Ferrari, who wrote Ant-Man. I mean, about 14 people in this room, all just pitching and brainstorming and going nuts as to what the script would be for not just this Transformers movie, but to launch an entire Transformers universe of films, including, yes, next year's Bumblebee spinoff. You're all fired, <laughs> by the way. Well, you know, Arnie, it might not just be movies with Hasbro, because IDW is doing a thing with Hasbro, and I've not kept up with it, so I don't have the details, where they've got a universe going on in the comics. So they've got Transformers, G.I. Joe... Rom, Micronauts, Visionaries, and even Mask. And there's a little bit of a hint in Mask in this movie, though I'm not convinced it's intentional. So Hasbro's got some really grandiose plans. We'll probably learn a lot about it with Hascon coming up in September. Hascon, yes. Because yes. they've even taken the license away from the group that was doing BotCon for many years because they've got a lot they want to pull together in this Hasbro-based universe. Yeah, and it's very interesting, in fact. They are starting a Hasbro cinematic universe separate from the Transformers cinematic universe. Hasbro has a group together they call it a strike force that is headed by somebody i actually know really well that is going to take gi joe micronauts visionary mask and rom and combine them all into one movie universe and in fact this movie that we're discussing today was going to be written by akiva goldsman and jeff pinker however because of their commitments writing the gi joe slash micronauts film <laughs> They had to leave. <laughs> and so we got Lindsay Beer and Geneva Robertson Dwart. So I guess you just didn't know which part of the toy box to go to, Akiva Goldsman and Chef Pinker. But as of this movie, because of Paramount's stranglehold on Transformers, there's no plans on merging them into the universe. I may argue by the end of this, with Bay leaving, the best thing for this entire franchise would just be to put it in that other movie universe and let's just reboot transformers and start again but we'll get there when we get there right so Bay's leaving everybody's leaving yay all right i'm in a better mood already so there was some good that came out of this movie but keep in mind Bay said he was leaving after three he's leaving after four my personal belief though i have no facts to back this up is he was lured back for four with pain and gain lured back for five with 13 hours all of which I've seen. I liked Painting Game 13 hours. I watched expecting it to be like an Argo or some really insightful war film that actually was just a really boring explosion film. <laughs> it did not give me the insights into Benghazi, I was hoping. So could Baby lured back? Who knows? But he's done five of these. He says he is done, done, done. Marky Mark, who signed a three-film contract, said he signed that film knowing he could terminate at some point, and he is terminating. <laughs> <laughs> but he's the last knight, and the talisman hasn't left his arm yet. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, and you know, I kind of believe it this time because Dark of the Moon didn't make their money. Revenge of the Fallen did. Age of Extinction made even less. I don't think this one's going to do as well. So I, I think the interest to want to keep him around because of the massive cash grab probably won't be as high this time. Oh, this movie's already expected to tank domestically. It is doing approximately half the business of the last one, and the last one didn't do great stateside. But let's face it, they didn't make this movie for us. They made this movie for China. Legitimately, they're looking at China as having a at least as good of a gross as America. If it can bring in the international dollars, then Bumblebee will be talking to you next year. And if not, <laughs> maybe not. But I think we need to dig into the last night. Jerry, I task you with the unenviable job of giving us a plot summary. <laughs> Yeah, well... Can you be Cliff Notes-a-con? <laughs> well, I'll try not to be you suck con with this, but uh, <laughs> we will give it a shot. It's going to be a little lengthy, and I still <laughs> left a bunch out for us to just talk about. So let me give it a shot, and we'll see where it goes. Once again, we begin a Transformers movie with a flashback. This time to the 400s AD for the dark times of England where we find King Arthur and his knights fighting what seems to be an unbeatable battle that is only won through the magic of Merlin. And it's only because I saw the King Arthur movie Guy Ritchie did that I knew I was in the correct theater for this one. <laughs> But see, Merlin's not magical at all. Rather, he's a fake and a drunk who is the sole person who knows of a crashed alien ship that belongs to the Knights of Cybertron. They bestow upon him a powerful staff, and when the Knights transform into a three-headed dragon, they turn the tide and lead the Knights of the Round Table to victory. Back to modern day, we see that new Autobots and Decepticons continue to arrive to Earth. I love that Stuart's now understanding the movie he <laughs> There saw. are a whole bunch of light bulbs going on. I mean, oh, the knights were the dragon. Yeah. <laughs> Being yeah. in the same room as him, all of a sudden, seeing like the, oh! Oh, okay. <laughs> We did this, I think, with Dark of the Moon big time, too, and a little bit with Age of Extinction. It, it helps to hear it out loud, doesn't it? <laughs> mm, only some. Yeah. <laughs> only to a point. But yeah, you're doing well. Keep going. All right. The Transformers Reaction Force, TRF, is formed to capture and eliminate Transformer threats. Our first real action begins in a sectioned-off area of Chicago where we meet Isabella, with a Z, who is orphaned during the Battle of Chicago and tries to take care of Transformers, including her little friend Squeaks. Cade Yeager, played again by Mark Wahlberg, arrives to attempt to help an ancient Cybertronian knight. He cannot save him, but grateful for his efforts, the knight attempts to give Cade a metallic talisman. He doesn't want it, but the talisman follows him anyway. Barricade, our evil Mustang, reports this to Megatron, and after a brief standoff with the TRF and returning Colonel Lennox, reprised by Josh Duomo, Cade is back to his hideout, a junkyard in the Badlands of South Dakota. Because we were all sitting around wondering where Josh Duhamel was in this franchise. <laughs> Just to clarify, too, there's a Cade who's a good guy and a Barricade who's a bad guy. Yes, the Mustang, the police car, who I actually thought was killed in the first movie, actually apparently is back. Okay. Because, of course, when you had a movie sponsored by GM, the Camaro had to beat the crap out of the Mustang. But anyway, for some reason, Cade is a fugitive wanted by authorities and cannot even communicate with his daughter who is now at college. This junkyard is also the refuge of our Autobot team from the previous film. Hound, Bumblebee, Crosshairs, Drift, Grimlock, Slug, along with Wheelie and inexplicably a set of baby Dinobots. And a Caterpillar excavator who I looked up. Caterpillar was advertising it heavily, but from what I can tell it has no name. But hey, don't you wish Optimus was practiced? <laughs> Don't I ever. <laughs> they sure do. But after a long, frozen journey in the depths of space, Optimus arrives to Cybertron to find his planet in shambles. He confronts his creator, the very powerful Quintessa. 
Quintessa corrupts Optimus into Nemesis Prime and sends him to destroy the Earth, which is, as we learn, is actually the being Unicron. <laughs> Here's your animated film flashbacks coming back to you, boys and girls. <laughs> Why can't we have Orson Welles in this movie to repeat it? We're all living on Orson Welles is what it is. He's eventually eaten so much that he, we live on him. Yeah. But anyway, Quintessa wants Prime to bring her the Staff of Merlin so she can drain Unicron's life force so that Cybertron can be rebuilt. At least I think that's what the plan is. This, of course, will destroy the Earth. As events proceed forward, scientists learn of the approaching Cybertron and determine that the Earth only has days into imminent destruction. Meanwhile, we see horns emerging at various points on Earth, revealing the presence, I am guessing, of Unicron. The TRF make a deal with Megatron to give him back a team of captive Decepticons. Their plan is to follow Megatron, give him the location of Cade so that Megatron can lead them to the staff. Cade and his team of Autobots evade the TRF and Decepticons and eventually meet Cogman, the headmaster Autobot who plays manservant to Sir Edmund Burton, played by Sir Anthony Hopkins, who is the last living member of the Witwickian Order. And yet, does he have any last living <laughs> dignity with all the crap movies he's doing? <laughs> <laughs> he takes Cade back to England to meet Edmund, who also has Vivian Wembley, played by Laura Haddock, brought to the castle. Vivian is an Oxford professor, and we learn is also the last descendant of Merlin, and thus, the only one who can wield the staff. We also learn that Cade has been chosen as the last knight by the talisman. Together, they are to find the staff based on clues that Vivian's father had left behind for her. They take the submarine, the HMS Alliance, to the deep sea, where they discover the knight's ship, and there, the staff. Vivian reactivates the staff, and the ship rises to the ocean's surface. Here, finally, Optimus arrives back into the film, takes the staff, defeats some of the Awakened Knights, and it absolutely baffles Cade and Bumblebee. Bumblebee engages Optimus Prime in battle, but Optimus snaps back to his old self when he hears for the first time in a long time Bumblebee's true voice. <laughs> it wasn't that voice, by the way. But it should have been. No, that's not what it sounded like. But that had been cool. No, but I made that sound in the theater! Megatron then comes in, takes the staff. The knights, though, want to kill Optimus for his treachery, but are stopped by Cade, who apparently now wields the weapon Excalibur. <laughs> Though he never wields it again. Megatron takes the staff to Stonehenge to begin the process of rebuilding Cybertron. The Autobots and the TRF head up to the control center and defeat the Decepticons and Quintessa, as Vivian retakes the staff and stops the conversion from taking place. Though in another short follow-up scene, we learn that Quintessa is still alive, disguised as a human, and offers to reveal to Earth how to destroy Unicron. And then, the credits continue to roll. <sighs> roll out! Roll out! Alright. I need a nap. <laughs> I want to just credit you, Jerry, with that plot summary. Now, I want to go through this film chronologically. And by that, I actually want to go through this series chronologically. Can you guys help me with some continuity? And I'm telling you, I did go to Transformers websites. I know there are comics out there that retcon, who is not retroactive continuity, but probably an Autobot who's steaming at the ears, <laughs> is trying to fix this shit. But can we follow through the through line of Transformers and humans. I need for you to tell me that. I actually did this movie a favor by intentionally not watching any of the old movies or even listening to my old reviews to remind me 
about any of it. I thought, since I've not enjoyed anything about this series, the best thing I could do was forget about everything it has done before. So if you want to tell me all the old stuff, that's fine, but I don't know that it's going to help this movie at all. See, it's burning in me because, like I did with Transformers 4, I re-immersed myself in Transformers. Remember, 4 was my favorite. It's the only one I recommended. So I was optimistic for five. Optimistic Prime, you might say. Now you're nemesistic Prime over it? <laughs> you can see the red slash down my face. Yeah. That crap Tassa left there. So I actually, I've rewatched all four Transformers films oh. and that Transformers Beginnings motion comic that Walmart released with the first movie on Blu-ray. And then I listened to all our old shows. And so... Mm. This continuity is foremost in my mind. I mean, 4 ended on a cliffhanger, which admittedly, one of the reasons I went back is, Stuart, you and I were driving back from Alien and we played a wonderful road trip game. What can you remember of Transformers 4? <laughs> <laughs> nothing. And the answer was absolutely nothing. Like, I didn't remember that Stanley Tucci was in it. I didn't remember. I remember that there was dinosaurs. Yes. And that was the most, and that it had Marky Mark at a, I thought he was at a, like a chop shop or something like that. I remembered Marky Mark, I remembered Dinobots, and I remembered Galvatron, and that was all I remembered, and something about placating China. Mm. Yeah, they did go to China. That's where the dinosaurs were. So because of the fact that that movie escaped my brain like a formatted hard drive, I felt like since I recommended the damn thing, I had to relive my journey to go there. So walking into Transformers for the first time, I went to the IMAX Optimus primetime event, packed IMAX theater. We were supposed to get shirts, but that didn't happen because they sent them literally to the wrong theater. But I was really immersed in this. I've seen the movie twice, by the way, and read an online transcript. That wasn't like a marathon, right? Like you didn't sit there and watch all four movies before this came, because that could kill you, I think. <laughs> no, I watched the first three at home over the span of like two weeks and then went in. They still give us like a freaking lanyard and things as if it was a marathon, but it was just the one movie. Mm. Which in of itself was a marathon, by the way, but... <laughs> it's the second shortest. Only the original is shorter. <laughs> well, I am in between you guys in terms of how I re-immersed in this. Because, guys, recall, I've watched some of these movies multiple times anyway, so I, I needed less reminding. But I did want to see Age of Extinction because I felt like this was more of a sequel to Age of Extinction and not so much the other ones. And I did listen to our old reviews. But, Arnie, because I think of where you're going with your next few questions, I had the same questions. And I decided that today, I saw the movie last night, and I decided that instead of watching the movie a second time today... I wanted to go back, and I actually went back and watched Revenge of the Fallen, because I wanted to see what they covered with when did Transformers first come, and when did they show up, and how many were here, and etc. Revenge of the Fallen, if you recall, starts at 17,000 BC. They invented the wheel, as I recall. Yeah. <laughs> well, it goes a little further back than that, if we look at all five movies here. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm taking that motion comic into account, which is an IDW comic, but I'm... I read some summaries of some of the others, but I gotta admit, I'm not gonna give them much credence. I mean, if we start from this movie, at the beginning of time, right, when it all began... The Big Bang. There isn't one, because Earth is Unicron. Okay. So, wherever Unicron came from... It's Earth, right? I mean, that's what this movie tells us. 
And it's made out of robot parts? We don't know what Unicron is. There's obviously some stone horns. Okay. Right? I mean, Jerry, I'm looking to you as the expert. Well, here's the thing. I appreciate coming here as the fan, but there's no expert to what's going on here because <laughs> yeah, there is no background for Unicron that matches us. Not fair, Arnie. You can't ask him to explain this movie. Michael Bay himself on this call probably could not explain this to you. No, in fact, if you actually could explain this to me, I would fly to California and say, get Jerry in this writer's room because somebody needs to make sense of this. But all right, beginning of time, Earth is Unicron. Mm. It grows life, right? It grows the dinosaurs. Are they robot dinosaurs or just regular dinosaurs? No, because in part four with okay. the Dinobots, yeah. we saw dinosaurs on Earth, like Jurassic Park. We saw that. And then per part four, 65 million years ago, Unicron was sitting here orbiting the sun, playing Nintendo or something. Mm -hmm. And that's when the creators who we saw in that movie, and they had like a pink fleshy hand. It was not Quintessa, I don't think. They dropped a seed. Remember the seed? You don't, Stuart. <laughs> Would you stop asking me? <laughs> I have wiped this from my mind. <laughs> they dropped a seed of Transformium on a bunch of planets, including Earth. And that killed the dinosaurs and started the Ice Age. Hmm. But it didn't create the Dinobots. Hmm. Right, we covered this during that last podcast the dinobots were on lockdown ship they're different people so was unicron pissed that somebody came along and put a seed on him you know i thought about what was that connection between why unicron's here pretending to be an organic earth because the horns were coming out as if unicron was getting ready to emerge but unicron's traditionally the bad guy he's the one who's trying to destroy everybody else but he is the earth so i don't get it and in fact it's discussed in this movie mm. that when unicron came it was pangea the supercontinent. i don't know how much you know of your continental history Stuart, but pangea is supposed to be when all of the land masses were one land mass all of earth was one island pangea mm -hmm. and then we had one super ocean that surrounded it right and then because of earthquakes and tectonic shifts the continents spread apart which is why the horns come out in random locations it would have been a big crown on pangea and in the middle of Pangea was Stonehenge. Which, if there was a metallic being underneath with horns, why would the continents have been able to shift and move the horns with it? <laughs> There's so much of that that I get what they're trying to get at. And by the way, it was fun to see Simmons back. I like the little role he was playing, just hanging out with Autobots in Cuba. <laughs> I liked that Castro made that a haven. Like, screw yeah. the rest of the world. We're going to have Transformers here because we have no other technology. Simmons is talking about other pilots and the planes are old in Cuba. He could probably find a Transformer to fly in places, except they had him on set for what? One day? Two? So the horns and Stonehenge are basically jewelry for a god that looks like our planet. That is our planet. Okay. And where does the Allspark fit into that? That was my very next question, because according to Transformers 1, the opening monologue, the Allspark, yeah. the cube, it gave life to the Transformers. We even saw in Transformers 2, a single shard of that thing could bring a toaster to life and give it a machine gun. Mm -hmm. So, all right, I'm just going to kind of go out there and say sometime the creators who were dropping seeds made an Allspark. Maybe they created the Transformers and the Allspark gave it life. I do remember a G1 cartoon where Optimus built Transformers, but then had to put them in a special machine to give them souls. 
Yep, that's Vector Sigma. Yep, know it well. And there's the Matrix of Leadership around here, too. Mmm, God, you you might as well have just punched me in the face. Yeah, I, that was the last movie, right? Or the third one? <laughs> that was the second one. Oh, God, yeah, that one hurts. I don't even know what it means, but I it hurts. So sometime, and we're still in BC here, Transformer Knights start to explore the universe. That was in Transformers 4, because of, like, the Knights. Keep in mind... Optimus was calling the Dinobots knights. Well, he might have used that term, but the, the one that stuck with me on the Dinobots was, were the like the legendary warriors, is what he referred to them. Yeah, but when the Transformer knights come here, I don't know if these are the ones who we're going to see in this movie or others, but they eventually do bring a staff here. Do they know this is Unicron? Were they, like, following him? One of the theories that I read up on and pieced together, maybe it's part of a comic continuity that maybe they're trying to mimic here is that the knights were off looking for the allspark the allspark went off you know even though you know they built the hoover dam over it in the first movie who knows how long it had actually been there so one of the things i read that was kind of interesting i kind of wish the movie had played with this more is the knights were looking for the allspark got stuck here and then separately the fall and the primes are harvesting planets for the sun for Energon mm -hmm. and leave behind the Matrix here. So it's just weird. A lot of stuff happens on Earth by coincidence. And we are told the reason they keep coming here is because of the staff. And so I'm trying to go that next step is the reason the staff is here is because of Unicron. But there's one step in between the Sun Crushers you're talking about, the Sun Harvesters, Jerry, and the seeds and the creation. I mean, over on Cybertron, remember... Megatron and Optimus ruled together, one fair, one firm, right? I, I just relived these movies. They were brothers, yep. And Megatron got pissied and started a civil war because he wanted the Allspark. I don't know where Sentinel Prime was when Optimus and Megatron were ruling together, but according to that the beginnings thing, we wondered when did Megatron freeze. It was 4 million B.C., that the Allspark was thrown into space, Megatron went after it, and froze in ice. That was four million years ago. Was that on the moon? No, no. This was in the Arctic, remember? Okay, yeah. Archibald with Wiki. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who we see a shot of in this film. So Megatron's been here for four million years. So for four million years, the Civil War has raged in space. During the Civil War, yes, 17,000 BC, the Fallen comes here to harvest Earth which also pisses off the Autobots because apparently even though there'd been a civil war for 3.9 million years, they didn't want to harm planets with life, so... He was the robot with male genitalia, right? No, that was the Constructicons. That was Devastator. Oh, never mind. I feel like I'm taking a seminar from a preschool class. I have no idea what you're referring to in all of this. But see, Arnie, tell me if this is something you reconcile too because Sentinel Prime crashes on the moon in the late 50s or whatever that movie says. 1961, Sentinel Prime crashes on the moon where he was to meet Megatron who left 4 million years earlier. Was that Leonard Nimoy? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's Sentinel Prime. That's my point because even if that first movie implies that Megatron went crash-landed 4 million years ago, and I know Sentinel Prime could have been drifting through space for a long time, 
But that doesn't make any sense, because he had plans with Megatron to meet on the moon, and it wasn't four million years ago they made that plan. It was something to do in that final battle where all the Autobots left. That space traffic jam was a bitch, Jerry. Four <laughs> million years of gridlock. He was asleep at the wheel, so maybe. And I said gridlock, not grimlock. Yeah. <laughs> but, all right. I'm wondering, does the Fallen, when he wants to harvest Earth, know it's Unicron? Does anybody know it's Unicron? Quintessa knows. But... Somehow, and I think it was retconned that Megatron came later, and it's also been retconned that, yes, Sentinel Prime had mechanical trouble with his ship, and so it was many thousands of years before he crashed on the moon. Well, he was shot down. His ship had been shot before it even left Cybertron's atmosphere. Right, and that's what caused the mechanical problems that took thousands of years to even get to the moon. And the first rock he hit was the moon. And so then, (laughs) over thousands of years... You know, Sentinel Prime and Megatron are making a deal. There's a civil war. Meanwhile, King Arthur comes to power in England. And there's Transformers on Earth who decide to give Merlin a staff that can command them. And now we're finding out that Transformers have always been throughout history. Have you guys ever watched that show on the History Channel with the guy with the big hair who's like, I don't want to say it's aliens, but it's aliens? I know the guy you're talking about. Yeah, he's a popular star of uh, memes. <laughs> yes. Now I think what he would be saying is, I don't want to say it's Transformers, but anything unexplained in history, it's Transformers. Yeah, that was a horrifying revelation in this movie when we get the room full of Harriet Tubman and Tesla. And I'm like, you're telling me the Underground Railroad was literally a locomotive that transformed into, what, Rusty Nail or something? <laughs> Rusty Nail was the bad guy in Joyride, so I don't think so. So, 1897 now, 1,500 years later, Admiral Witwicky finds Megatron in the Arctic Expedition, and they move him to the Hoover Dam in 1902. In the 1940s, we see Bumblebee fighting in World War II, Transformers versus Nazis. Then in the 60s, Sentinel Prime crash lands on the moon... Four million years late, starting the space race, and the Americans used Megatron technology to beat the Russians to get to space. But then we found out in 2003, Bumblebee came to Earth to find the AllSpark, which leads us to the movies. In 2007, Transformers reveal themselves to the public to fight about the AllSpark, but Sector 7 covers it up. 2009, they're fighting over the Matrix of Leadership to fire the Sun Harvester. Everybody knows about them. 2011, the big battle of Chicago that devastates Chicago. We think they're banished from the Earth. 2014, they fight over the seed and devastate part of China and let Dinobots run. And that leads us to this movie. So there's no freaking continuity here, right? Even the X-Men movies are looking at this like that's screwed up. <laughs> What's that old joke when something like, no movie could be any worse in its continuity than X-Men, and then, you know, Michael Bay says, here, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I feel very validated in my choice not to go back. I didn't enjoy those movies. There's no reason to know those movies. Nothing you just said made any sense to me, Arnie. <laughs> And nothing I'm about to talk to does either. So honestly, I have to believe that continuity, logic, and structure can't be a big part of the entertainment value for most of the audience of this franchise. They're not coming to it because a dense mythology is unfolding before their eyes. They're coming to it because Michael Bay is Michael Bay, right? And so what seems at odds with his style is going back to Arthurian legend. I got to say, that was a really weird ripple the idea that he was going to incorporate 
Merlin, sorcery, swordplay, Game of Thrones kind of stuff. I, it may be trendy in other media right now, but it just didn't seem like it had any place in this universe. There was a cartoon. I remember this. Jerry, maybe you can spell it out. Oh, I know exactly what you're about to say. You know that story, I think it was Mark Twain, uh, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court? I do. They yep. adapted that for an episode of the Transformers cartoon. Okay. That was a little novelty thing they did as a one-off, but again, to, right. say, <laughs> to say that their mission here on Earth began with them handing a cyber staff to a very drunk Stanley Tucci. Why is it Stanley Tucci? He was in the last movie! Is this what this is going to be? You screaming about continuity for five hours? Yes! <laughs> and I do think it is going to be a five-hour show. Yes! Why is it Stanley Tucci? First of all, he was unrecognizable to me. It wasn't until I left, and when I walked into the theater, Wikipedia told me Tyrese and Stanley Tucci were in this movie. And when I walked out, it said Tyrese had to cancel, but Stanley Tucci was somewhere in this movie. And I finally found out he was not reprising his role from the last film, but he's Merlin. I get it. Stanley Tucci can do, you know, slapstick comedy. He's someone you would get to play a drunk Merlin if, if that was the movie you were making. I don't know why we're making this the introduction. <laughs> Here at the beginning, I mean, the message we get, we see the Paramount logo and flaming catapults flying over the mountain. I'm thinking, okay, well, at least it's going to be exciting. But after a couple, you know, nights are flipping, this is all comedy. And again, he knows about a spaceship and a red robot and Ghidra is going to come out. I'm, <laughs> this is not Transformers. And I just want to bring this up. I don't watch One Upon a Time. I don't know if either of you do. But for some reason, Michael Bay thought it was important enough to get Liam Garrigan, who plays King Arthur in the Once Upon a Time series, to play King Arthur here. Uh, if these are his priorities, it explains the movie we have in front of us. Now, admittedly, Michael Bay did not invent the concept of the Knights of Cybertron, but he certainly probably ended up taking it a little too literally. <laughs> if I'm making a movie about their knights, they should meet Earth's knights. That would be awesome. There's no image in this movie as absurd as the knights of the round table sitting at the round table and behind each of them is their corresponding Transformer <laughs> knight standing there. Oh, Arnie, there are many more things absurd than that. And I got a favorite. The best thing that's ever happened in any Transformer movie <laughs> happens in this movie. I can't wait to talk about it, but it's towards the end. All right. So, yeah, you've already sort of clarified some of the things that Anthony Hopkins and voiceover is going to for the audience. I had forgotten that Optimus Prime was floating in space. There had been some kind of beef with humans and all of the robots, be they Autobot or Decepticon. There had been a line drawn in the sand where they were being persecuted, right? Humans against machine or alien. The last movie we did discuss in the podcast, Optimus was kind of anti-human. He's like, I'm done fighting for you guys. And Cade gets him to do it one last time. He's like, fine, I'll do this one, but now you humans are on your own. Because he had to show him a good old-fashioned Texas boy was worth fighting for. But I had completely forgotten that, yeah, the last movie ended on a cliffhanger of Optimus. The whole reason Lockdown was here was because somebody mysteriously had put a price on Optimus Prime's head. And so it ends with Optimus Prime going, To my creators, I'm coming for you. And so he flies off into space using a jetpack that he'd found on Lockdown's ship. And I honestly hadn't been on the edge of my seat for three years <laughs> waiting to see where he went. Here's the funny thing about that. At the end of Age of Extinction, Optimus Prime takes off with a jetpack, like you just said, Arnie, and I'm going to find my creator. And apparently the plan was I'm going to drift into space 
freeze. My jetpack's going to go <laughs> lose its power, and I'm just going to crash land into Cybertron, the planet I'm from, as if I didn't know Quintessa was there the whole time? He didn't know Quintessa was there, as I take it. He thought that he'd find his creators on Cybertron. I guess he just set his course for Cybertron, froze along the way, but an object in motion <laughs> tends to stay in motion. Oh, yeah. I get how it works, but still stupidly funny. <laughs> he had to have been going faster than the speed of light, too. I mean, Cybertron, it's going to take us a full year just to fly to Mars with our current technology. And then three years, we'll say, Prime made it to Cybertron, so... That was a hell of a jetpack. Of course, Cybertron is coming at us, so it's it's not as far as it probably was when they first left. I was just going to say, God knows where it is after the events of Dark and the Moon. And yeah, because it, it pops up in the middle of this movie because it came in behind the sun when they couldn't see it. So it probably isn't in its original location, even just because of the events of Dark of the Moon, I assume. Is it? I mean, if we're done with King Arthur, we got to <laughs> talk about, yeah, Optimus Prime. He goes to Cybertron where the planet's all torn up. Now, we did see, yeah, as you said, Jerry... Dark of the Moon, half of Cybertron came here and was screwing everything up, and then they destroyed the pods or whatever and sent it back or tore it in half or something. Stuart remembers none of this. <laughs> Have we met Quintessa before? And can I just say how much I hate even saying the word Quintessa? Don't you remember the Quintessons? That from the animated thing. Yeah. 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 But here's the weird thing. Have we met Quintessa before? No, because Quintessa is a planet everywhere else. You remember the scene in the animated movie where Hot Rod and Grimlock and Cup, they're being tried? They're on the planet Quintessa. You remember that, but you don't remember Cybertron hanging out over Earth. Yeah, no, well, I mean, yeah, some scars are deeper than others. <laughs> so he doesn't know Quintessa is there? I don't think. I think he was going to meet her, right? But he acts like he doesn't know who his creator is. I don't know who his creator is. Is she the creator or has she just got some kind of trip on that she's the best? Well, how this ties into G1 continuity is that we later learned in the third season after the 86 movie, because we're introduced to the Quintessons in the 86 animated movie, but inside the first five episodes they made after the movie, we learned that the Quintessons were the ones who created the Transformers. It's as if Michael Bay has said, hey, let me make it first a woman. I'll use the Quintessa name because, you know, Tessa, that sounds like a girl's name. It's Marky Mark's daughter's name. You're right, from Age of Extinction. And I'll just combine all that into this one character. Well, one of the nights later on, when they're beating on Optimus, says Quintessa is the great deceiver. So she might even be lying with everything she says. She might not be the creator. All right, so he gets there. Quintessa's waiting for him. She's like, now that you're here, we're going to go and take Unicron's life to rebuild Cybertron. Well, she wasn't waiting... She probably was by that point, but she had sent Lockdown out to get him. So she probably had in her mind that I am going to get Optimus Prime sooner than later. All right, I'm just going to wave a white flag here and say I cannot follow all these character names about Lockdown or whatever. But what I heard, and tell me if, if what I heard is accurate, she is saying because there has been an Autobot Decepticon war, that is what has cost them Cybertron in and of itself. What I extrapolated was that those knights took away this battery that is a, a staff, and thus Cybertron died and took it to Unicron. No, the staff could restore Cybertron, but it's not losing the staff that destroyed Cybertron. It was the war. The war didn't take place there. 
It did for a lot of it. Oh, sure. But we never saw that. We did in flashbacks in okay. part one and part three. Yeah. Dark of the Moon had a lot of it. Yeah. Okay. Is it really important to have, I mean, if you can fly anywhere in the universe to have that one planet? Well, it's your home world. I mean, I'd be okay with blowing up Springfield. <laughs> <laughs> I'll light your fuse, but it is their home. Okay. They, they want to have their home. They want to be able to do whatever there. Does she need him though? to do anything because first of all she's got this big horned guard there that is everything's a constructicon now right it all it's like 12 robots that form one giant horned head dude the term is a combiner okay they're all combiners because we have the combiner knights that form the three-headed dragon and then we have the combiners of quintessa that form her big dude so was she waiting for prime to go to earth was she on her way to earth what does prime need to do for her i'm going to actually argue i'm not sure what anyone does at all in this movie <laughs> ever i don't I see an accomplishment it's quite i assumed that she believed he was the key to getting the staff or whatever it is i don't know i don't know <laughs> I don't know what is necessary. I don't know the rules. Well, here's the weird thing. I actually took some time this afternoon, just wrote a list of everything that didn't make sense, as you can imagine. <laughs> How many trees did you kill? <laughs> Are you still working? <laughs> I typed it, so it's fine. But here's the thing. Yes, Optimus is sent to get the staff, but Megatron's there to get the staff, too. Megatron's the one that actually takes it to Quintessa. So is Optimus like a plan B? Or was Megatron doing it for his own reasons and then just decided at the last minute, hey, I'll just take it to Quintessa? That's what really confused me. I think they waffled. I think it would have made sense to have Optimus Prime bring it to her. I'm not even sure why we have Megatron in this movie. Not sure about a lot. But I think that probably... I know why I was always upset. When I was young and people got hypnotized and good guys did bad things, that was always very upsetting. And the fact that he's going to get purple eyes and, you know, yell at his old friends and beat on them is probably something they didn't want to dwell too much on. The Superman 3 effect. We don't like to see the hero be the villain. But it was the entire tease for this movie. Every trailer had Optimus Prime beheading Bumblebee. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have him screaming, I am Nemesis Prime to announce himself as somebody else. But I think you can get away with this kind of mind control. I mean, we had much more thematically, emotionally deep hero versus hero battles with Civil War and Batman v Superman, where there was no brainwashing involved. It was just a difference of opinion. Here, the fact that she basically reprograms them. She goes Hellraiser, right? I mean, chains come out of nowhere and tie him up. It reminded me of Frank at the end of Hellraiser. <laughs> don't think that was what they were going for, Arnie. Oh, don't you? <laughs> no, I think you think of chains. When you see chains, you think of Hellraiser. I don't think that, that this is a family film and that's what they were going when chains come out of nowhere and start tying you up and drawing and quartering you, there's only one movie that did that. And don't tell me that Bay's interested in making kitty films. He's interested in ripping off films of all genres. But okay, if we don't know anything else about what the hell is going on on Cybertron, it doesn't matter because we're going to go like an hour and a half of this movie with no Optimus. I actually found myself in the middle of this movie going, can we please get back to Optimus? We cut there a couple of times and just see basically Quintessa monologuing and Optimus tied up. They untie him for a moment and then tie him back up again. But let's get to Earth because you mentioned Megatron and we're going to hear Megatron and Optimus have not been seen. 
Megatron is not really hiding too well. He's under a bridge. Yeah. He's actually seen quite often. Every time there's a horn popping out of the crust, he is there. And the government, the TRF, knows all about it. And weirdly thinks that they're better allies for catching Cade, who's the ultimate terrorist that must be stopped. You're willing to release bank robbers, murderers, every kind of Decepticon in captivity because we must get Marky Mark under control. Don't tell me Bay isn't ripping off other films. Were you not thinking Suicide Squad? Oh, yeah. I wasn't. How could you not when they actually put the names of the people on there and freeze frame and see them coming out of jail just like Suicide Squad? I mean, I wasn't thinking about other movies. I was trying to think, what is this movie? I spent most of this movie trying to understand what I was looking at. <laughs> so they say the Earth has gone to crap because there's no Megatron and no Optimus. We see Transformers fighting in the streets. There's no leaders, so there's only brawls. And for some reason asteroids keep hitting earth with new transformers in it we see asteroids hitting earth the point is that there are certain sectors of the united states perhaps the world where we've just kind of walled it off and escaped from new york style just said okay this is where the rogue aliens are going to be and we're just not going to go there and part of that is soldier field in chicago I took that because of the Battle of Chicago. Everything was so totally screwed up from part three. They never built it back up. It was like 9-11 with no we will rebuild moment. I also wondered if that was actually from Age of Extinction because lockdown incited a battle in Chicago as well. So I was kind of wondering if it was the first one or the second one. Ah, good point. We just keep screwing up Chicago. Yeah, poor Chicago. And... We don't need to be here. Nothing of relevance at all happens in Chicago. Oh, absolutely. It's where Cade gets the talisman. Uh, that didn't need to happen here. <laughs> no, but you said nothing happens there. The whole point of Chicago is to show us, A, that there's a government agency, a world agency, the TRF, that has ED-209-like sentinels that are hunting Transformers. The entire army is now completely drones. They have drone walkers like mechs. They have drone ships. And they've declared war on all Transformers. And we have two factions. The TRF, led by Santos, and apparently Mitch Pileggi is in this movie somewhere. Two watchings. I couldn't find him. But he was the TRF head. But they think all Transformers are bad and all Transformers should be killed. But for some reason, Lennox, who is Josh Duhamel from the first three films, is still military, embedded with the TRF. And he's trying to say, no, 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 the Autobots are cool. We should only be killing Decepticons. And they used to go on missions together. I mean, he used to go to countries and solve a diplomatic crisis with Autobot power. So... Nest. Yeah, okay. I knew you would know. He would be an advocate for at least using some of these. The fact that he is going to sign off on a, a Black Ops program in which they're going to work with Decepticons is beyond my realm of comprehension. Okay, now this you guys got to help me on. And I, I doubt if anybody can, but at least let me vent. Okay. Because we get Cade in Chicago. And because Cade is helping Autobots, he is now wanted. He's a traitor to the country because he is helping our enemy the transformers that's why he's in chicago he's in chicago because he's trying to help injured transformers he's a mechanic and inventor all right there's a ship which i thought may have crashed during the battle of chicago or jerry you're telling me maybe the last movie but there's a ship with an ancient transformer older than optimus in it one of the knights 
But it's not one of the knights from Merlin, because those 12 knights are needed to form the dragon. Okay. <laughs> well, I gathered, I only saw this movie once. Didn't we see that ship crash land at the very beginning after the flashback? And I gathered that Cade's got some intel through other sources. We got Day Trader tells him some things. Seems like, you know, they got the ability to probably hack in. You know, Hound was doing some various things or whatever. I gathered that he learned that a new ship crashed and they went to investigate it because, yeah, he wanted to help them, see if it was an Autobot, see if it was somebody they knew, whatever. And it turned out to be the last night. That could be. That very well could be. I don't know. We see ships crash. Maybe this is one of them. Why this knight is showing up now. Maybe because Quintessa came to Cybertron because he does say to Cade, protect it from Quinn. And then he dies. So I don't think he means Quinn from... The TV show Unreal on Lifetime, even though she is a bitch. So I think <laughs> he means protected from Quintessa. And so because of this, Cade, because he hasn't gotten laid in a really long time, is now our last night. Okay. And Isabella. I'm assuming this is just hitting demographics. Someone said we need to have the Nickelodeon audience get served here. And so a star who has done kitty shows is now living amongst the trash. I assume she's going to be part of what they build the next generation of movies off of. Oh my god. They're going to give her more? It can't hurt that she does have a big television presence with kid shows, but I took this as the new relationship. We've always had a parental relationship in these movies. In the last one, Cade had his daughter and her leprechaun race car driver boyfriend here we're going to find out Cade can't talk to his daughter because they're under surveillance they can only be on the phone together for 20 seconds or they'll trace it but if he speaks then they'll instantly trace it i know the nsa is recording every phone conversation and can do voice analysis but i don't know what the two have to do with each other but because he can't connect with his daughter and she has no parents and he has no daughter this is the surrogate father-daughter relationship that is horribly underserved. Yeah, this is not the way to disservice that. If that is your concept for what you want to do with the characters, you don't start off here in Chicago with her and Canopy. Like, what is this? Your whole job is to be a Canopy and protect people? And like one missile and he bleeds out of the mouth and says, you were great, bye, bleh. <laughs> what did he transform into a pile of rocks <laughs> i mean failure this, this is like the, the what's the, the island of misfit toys i guess like don't even go here mark you don't need any of these transformers they deserve to die what's the squeaks thing the ugliest transformer i've ever seen in my life it's a vespa so here's to me the interesting connection potentially to mask when I first saw Squeaks, Arnie, I don't know if you watched Mask. I didn't have any of the toys, but I watched the show all the time. I have no idea what you're talking about. I think I remember this. It's like they're semi-trucks, right? Well, they're vehicles that transform into just, like, combative vehicles. It was it was Kenner's property, and it was competition for Transformers. It was people who operated vehicles. It was a semi that could turn into basically just a weaponized semi, so there's no, like, robots in disguise. Surprise! Conceal and carry truck, okay. Basically, yeah. But it was done by <laughs> Kenner, and Hasbro eventually purchased Kenner, so Hasbro has all of this now. And the Matt Tracker's son had a little transforming robot. He was a scooter and a little robot. His name was T-Bob, and it looks just like the Squeaks. Okay. Because mm. I'm thinking you'd never sell a toy of this. No mm. way. 
I'm thinking you could sell a life-sized one, actually. I never see Squeaks transform into anything. He's pretty busted up. He's got busted headlights for eyes. But, man, he's destructive. He takes down an Ed 209 like it's an ad-ad in Empire Strikes Back. He ties a rope around its leg. It falls over. He's more competent than Canopy, actually. <laughs> But Cade comes in here, rescues the kids. I honestly thought this entire group of kids would be a big thing. There's one that has a crush on Isabella. I thought that was going to be played throughout the whole thing. No, all the kids that start off the introduction go back home to their houses and condos and ride out the rest of the movie. Whereas Isabella and Cade and Cade with the talisman he got from this randomly crashed ancient Transformer go back to the junkyard where my favorite Transformers from the entire series are hanging out. We got Bumblebee, Hound is back, again, John Goodman with some great lines. I love violence. I I actually, Hound is my favorite thing in this entire movie still. You got puppy Transformers. I don't know where they bred from, but they're cute. And Grimlock is the new Groot, right? Don't eat cars is this movie's don't drink fountain water. And the reason why no one has found them is because it's tribal land. And he has this bit with the chief, you know, he, he uses the word, hey, chief. In fact, the guy's just named Sherman. He's the cop on duty. And there's a whole bit about how he's on a horse because his his police vehicle is gone. Is Cage just stealing, like, machine parts? Is he stealing cars? No, Grimlock took the car and ate it. Oh, he's eating the cars. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Grimlock, bad dog, don't eat cars. Okay, I know I completely understand this. Yeah, I've watched my dog eat an entire roll of toilet paper. That's our legendary warriors from the last movie. <laughs> Go back to your hole and think about what you've done, legendary warrior. They're reduced to the puppies, yep. <laughs> but you need a Groot. All right, so back to the whole plot now. So... Cade has the talisman. Which is identified by Day Trader. That one thing that I think that this Wheeler Dealer, I don't know what he is, is Steve Buscemi. But he points out that this talisman is one of the seven signs of the apocalypse? Yeah. I don't know what the other six are. Perhaps right. the big horns that grew out of the earth? Okay. Yeah, I mean, that would be apocalyptic. <laughs> I mean, you, you gotta be concerned when you're at the beach and a giant spike is suddenly <laughs> popping your inflatable. <laughs> but Barricade watched Cade get the talisman, but couldn't take it from him because of the TRF. So he goes back to Megatron under the bridge. Megatron says, you've got to get this talisman. And Barricade says, I know how to find the talisman, the TRF. Meanwhile, at TRF headquarters, there's something that Megatron's calling the ultimate weapon. So we need to get it. You know who will get it for us? The Decepticons. <laughs> so wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> I think this is Bay. I honestly think that this is just his feeling about people in power, politics, Washington, what have you. They side with the terrorists. They ignore and betray the patriots. That's what I'm getting out of here, is that the real hero here is, is Mark Wahlberg's Cade, but they would rather make deals with foreign entities that everyone knows you shouldn't deal with. Yeah, but still, who actually has information? Now, the TRF did put a tracker on Bumblebee, who, despite being a sentient car, doesn't apparently feel the tracker on his butt. So, <laughs> so Megatron is right when he says the TRF will lead us to Cade. But what the TRF doesn't know is they don't need the Decepticons 
because they could find Cade on their own. They're going to spend most of the movie attacking Cade and the Autobots for reasons I don't know. Right. Well, here's the funny thing, Arnie. They're not using Megatron to lead them to Cade. They say we're going to give Megatron Cade's coordinates. You know where Cade's at? Just go get him. The only thing I could even guess is the police chief, Indian chief, says this is protected land. So could the TRF not go there unless they were Decepticons? The TRF goes anyway. It makes no sense. Yeah, I do think the point is, is that they're going to play politics and say, all right, it's your land. We won't cross this threshold. But there's no law to say that these... Well, but they do just kind of steamroll right through. I don't know. I'm not going to give this movie any passes. So through a series of contrivances, yes, we've identified that Cade is the bad guy, according to the authorities, and they're willing to, yeah, not just work with Megatron, but there's all of these other ones we see. One with a mohawk and somebody in restraints they don't let out, but everyone else that's ever done anything bad is freed to go do this. This is the deal that was cut. So again, that almost feels political to me. Like our government makes bad deals with four entities and they want to kill good old americans i mean what the general says that general who was in charge of nest in previous movies we've made deals with the devil before during times of crisis if we're going to get through this we have to open the door and let the monsters inside so they're saying this in no uncertain terms but jerry i had to ask when you see a nitro zeus and berserker is this giving any jollies because I mean, I know when I'm watching a Marvel movie and they have Z-list characters like Batroc the Leaper show up, I get happy. Are you a big Nitro Zeus fan? I have no idea who these characters are. I mean, none of these are <laughs> G1 names that I recognize. Now, they're probably names taken from other versions of Transformers folklore that I'm less familiar with, but they didn't pull out a... Uh, a sky warp or a Predacon or something, you know, that I would be like, oh, hey, that's a good read. No, I have no idea what these names are. No idea. Yeah. If they pulled out stuff from the cartoon, like the Insecticons, I would have been happy. Oh, yeah. Here's Kickback and Shrapnel. Oh, okay. I know those names, but I have no idea what these names are. And I'm surprised with Chekhov's Berserker. If you have a Transformer that's too dangerous to let out in Act 1, obviously he's the only thing that can save you in Act 3, right? Yeah, but now you've really made... You've, you've actually explained a lot about why this movie doesn't have anything that concludes. If they are indeed plotting... 42 million other sequels this is that setup for that they're not thinking about telling a movie here they're just opening up a bunch of possibilities there'll be a berserker spinoff movie in 2025 yeah i i think that that we're just <laughs> supposed to see that second of footage and think i can't wait to get to that movie the only thing I know is Nitro Zeus did sound familiar to me, so I googled it. It was the name of a planned cyber attack that the U.S. was planning against Iran if they wouldn't come to terms and stop doing their nuclear arms. And in fact, because of that, it's merely called, I believe, Decepticon Nitro on the toy. They did not call it Nitro Zeus. Ah, okay. Yeah, so he is getting political because, again, yeah, you mentioned that he did the Benghazi movie. Obviously, Michael Bay does bring a certain right-wing political agenda to a lot of his movies. He's very pro-military and it comes through in different areas here, but awkwardly inserted, I would say. And, and really, for us to enjoy this, to see that Josh Duhamel, who was 
Was he in the last movie? No, he no. skipped four. Okay, so he's never had a relationship with Marky Mark's character, but I just, he has a relationship with Autobots. I just can't rectify in my mind that he would side with the bad guy to do the good. The fact that he's going along with this plan, I would think that he would be defying his own bosses and jumping sides and maybe joining the heroes here. He would make a much better ally than the Carmichael show sitcom actor. I don't know who this actor is, but it reminded me of T.J. Miller from the last one, who, when rewatching, I'm like, oh, it's the sidekick from Deadpool. I had no clue who he was when I watched Transformers 4, but now I know him in retrospect, and here, this guy's doing the exact same thing. <laughs> it's the exact same jokes. What do you mean I don't get health care? What do you mean my job title doesn't matter? What do you mean I don't get a paycheck? It's like they recycled lines. So worthless. Yeah, no, I think at one point he's like, he gets from Day Trader a gun, like, it never goes off, right? I mean, there's no point to this character. There's no Isabella's hung around. I don't think she ever does anything. We have a whole lot of people that have been through a wide range of contrivances brought to this moment and then not given anything to do at all. It's very perplexing. I really got confused until my second time watching this movie. And the whole reason I went back wasn't out of I loved it so much. Truthfully, <laughs> two things happened. First of all, I planned on seeing it Thursday night for this review. We're recording on Friday. And a friend of mine was going Tuesday and kind of peer pressured me into going. And then second, the reason I continued to go because I had my Thursday ticket <laughs> was because I couldn't tell you half of what I saw. It was just nonsense. So the second time going back, I realized, okay, so... Decepticons and TRF attack the junkyard. They flee to some ghost town, and that's where the battle actually takes place. Yeah. So Isabella isn't even with them anymore. She's left at the junkyard. Hound and the Caterpillar machine stay behind. Hound, I think he blows up, but I'm glad he survived later. He's the military expert too, right? He's the weapons guy. So why you wouldn't bring that guy to the town wired with explosives to take out anybody that's trying to attack your station is one of many continuous eternal. There are so many plot points here that are like I'm choking down that this toy movie needs to be recalled. I mean, it is a hazard. <laughs> it is. I'm literally blue in the face, clutching my throat at this point at all that's being thrown at me. We're only 30 minutes into the movie, Stuart. <laughs> I know, and I feel like we've lost over some major problems that I had. But it's like, yeah, there's all this stuff with the, the daughter, and they try to make this parallel between Kate can't talk to her and Bumblebee can't talk, and jokes about Siri, and I don't know. <laughs> I just can't get a bead on what we're supposed to be rooting for and who's the hero. Well, two things two up to this point that we haven't mentioned too much. We've talked about Isabel, but you know, for about two minutes, I got this Logan vibe. And I know these movies had to have been <laughs> in production at the same time, but I was like, man, are they going to do this Logan thing where this little kid's like hanging out with Kay? But no, she goes away. But then one thing that I'm just thinking, like, why is Megatron not Galvatron in this movie? Yeah, and why are they transforming normally instead of doing the Terminator 1000 kind of pixelated thing? I know the answer to that is because that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm guessing Megatron rebuilt himself into Megatron and overwrote his Galvatron programming, whatever. Megatron does have the name recognition, I mean. It would have been cool if Quintessa had done it to him. Missed opportunity. Yeah, why bring in a character and then give her nothing to do but stand around and scream about squeaks, which I'm perfectly <laughs> happy to see blown up. 
Yeah, you're right. Quintessa could have done the squeaks. Isabella comes into play later. But if continuity mattered at all, and I think that's what I spent the first 10 minutes of this show discussing, it doesn't. (laughs) You're right, Jerry. There's so much that could have been explained by having Quintessa be useful. Having Quintessa team up with Megatron would have been nice, but I guess they'd be repeating beats from Revenge of the Fallen at that point where Megatron's somebody else's bitch but the battle though i'm gonna give this movie some compliments now let's take an oasis and compliment this movie okay no no this movie has tremendous 3d effects i loved the 3d in this movie i thought when they go to the plains of king arthur the depth there when drift is doing his moves and sticking a sword out in the audience that was good 3d best 3d since avatar i'm gonna say It looks good. The explosions look good. I like the designs of the new Transformers, even if I roll my eyes at the gold chains and even Barricade having brass knuckles that say punish. I like the look of this film. I like the explosions in this film, and I think it's well shot, and I do think the 3D is good. I'm with you. I, th- I Number one, I enjoy seeing a movie on IMAX whenever I can, so as an IMAX 3D, I thought it was beautiful looking, and probably one of the main things that kept me so engaged. I mean, at no point in this movie have I disengaged and I stopped paying attention to what was going on. I was still trying to figure it out the whole time, and I think it's the visuals. I wasn't successful, by the way, but the visuals, I think, is what kept me hanging on. And the fact that this is the only movie this summer that is shot in 3d no matter how many 3d movies you see bay is the only one who shot it that way and more to the point this battle that we've been building up to through all of this stupidity these bad people that were released from captivity that are so impossible to stop they're already down before i even they have to send in drones they're so bad that the humans finally realize you know what these decepticons suck let's just send in what we should have from the get-go The TRF is working with them, and yeah, three Decepticons go down. It makes no sense, and it's not dramatically fulfilling, but it's pretty as hell. They shot, I looked at where they had filmed this, and I think uh, a lot of the locations were Michigan. I think we're supposed to expect that this small town, South Dakota ghost town, is their Michigan location, because all of a sudden, there's like a skyscraper with a glass elevator on the side and things that are never i mean i i lived in south dakota i know south dakota there's nothing like this anywhere in the state the city that they're in for this big explosion and the drones flying around the giant cathedral and what have you there's something about michael bay that i don't think he understands the geography of the u.s because we kind of get the feeling that Cade goes from chicago back to the junkyard within the same day like within an hour Mm -hmm. they leave there they're at the junkyard no time and i don't know how many hours that is but that's not a short trip (laughs) you're right and bumblebee had to drive the whole way and in fact Cade was in a jeep that wasn't even a transformer yeah (laughs) i get confused when i see vehicles that don't transform in these movies quite honestly like Cade, why are you driving yourself it makes no sense (laughs) exactly i i did wonder that if if man is against machines that impersonate automobiles would this be the thing to finally get them to people to stop having cars? I thought that would be interesting to explore, like a world where people aren't using motor vehicles to get around anymore. Maybe they brought back horses or what have you, but they don't have anything like that going on in this movie. But they do have is Cogman, C-3PO ripoff, I think he's called at one point, and I couldn't put it better. <laughs> yeah, they're just beating you to the punch now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Crappy robot, here it comes. Yep, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> And this is where we realize that nothing that we've seen actually matters anyway. Cade needs to go to England where the plot will kick back in. 
Yes, because we're going to have 30 minutes of exposition. I did time this on my second one. We have basically a half an hour of setup. At the 30-minute mark, the battle at the junkyard begins. It goes to the city, and then we're finally going to bring together some other things we've seen. Because during all this stuff with Cade, we have been cutting over to both Anthony Hopkins as Sir Edmund Burton, who's been lurking in the shadows and monologuing. And every time I saw the trailer for this, I thought I was seeing a trailer for Thor because it's got Anthony Hopkins giving these words about history and showing me swords. He's been doing this a lot lately. He had a very similar role in Westworld uh, last season as well. Yeah, he was good in that. And they treat him in similar ways here at the end of this movie. But yes, he's here and he's focused on finding out who the last last night is. He didn't need it to be Cade. He was fine that the talisman had just basically attached to the guy's arm like a tat. And he was like, all right, well, that will be the last night. But he's also fascinated with this Oxford professor, or as I call her, Downton Abbey, Megan Fox. Yeah. Vivian Wembley, played by Laura Haddock, an actress who I've seen in a couple Marvel movies. She was Star-Lord's mom. Yeah. Okay. She was also in Captain America in a role as an extra. Terrific. That's all I know her from. She's actually a lot of fun here. I actually feel like she's definitely a Michael Bay girl. I mean, she's got the look and and yet there's still kind of a British sauciness about her that she doesn't mind falling off her horse playing polo. She'll wear impractical heels on cobblestone. But she's here to play yet again. Michael Bay just can't stop hitting this one in this movie. The intellectual. And God, does he hate smart people, right? Smart people. (laughs) This woman in particular is going to spend most of the movie saying, oh, King Arthur, here it's all fallacy this is all something stupid my father believed in all of this and it was just so stupid and she will be proven wrong and have to atone because she's actually Merlin's daughter she doesn't believe in any Arthurian legend but she is actually Merlin's descendant well I don't know if this might be Bay atoning for his anti-intellectualism what (laughs) I know it's not Because she does say only in America would having a finer education be considered an insult. I thought that was somebody, be it Bay or the screenwriter, saying, you people who don't like higher education just need to look outside your borders for a change. Yeah, well, they slipped that one in. But again, she's the one that gets schooled here. She, time and again, it's like, oh, look at these ridiculous pictures of yore and men on horsebacks and they thought they could be heroes and if there's a point to this movie it's the insistence that you can be heroes if you just believe you don't need to be educated you don't need any kind of tools you just believe and it will magically happen like merlin i don't know that belief is all of it in fact she doesn't believe and things still happen things in edmund's house were starting to ripple like spencer gifts 3d shadow boxes and when she arrives, she's kidnapped by Hunt Rude. Yeah, what's this? Uh, so bad is what it is. It is. I can't believe you would do that with the Hot Rod name. Yeah, I mean, he does not turn into Rodimus Prime. <laughs> I had heard at some point that Jean Renault was going to have a voice here, but it's not him either. Omar Sy, yeah, it makes sense. This actor is was in a very successful French movie, The Untouchables. I found Hot Rod to be funny. I found his time warp power to be kind of cool. He's a kick-ass Lamborghini after he transforms, but 
yeah, I don't know why he's Hot Rod. He is no Judd Nelson, and Judd Nelson could have used the work, but <laughs> Cogman's going to put her hands on a table, and it's going to light it up, and telekinesis is going to start happening. And what we're going to find out is, yes, she is a direct descendant of Merlin. She is the last direct descendant. So Merlin's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-granddaughter. Yeah. Meanwhile, in parallel, has been the Order of the Witwickens. Is that Wickwicky? It has to be. We actually see that Sam Witwicky and his grandfather are both Witwickens. So how can Anthony Hopkins be the last of those? Are they saying Shia is dead? I think so. That's what I wrote down too. Is unless because they're Witwickies and not Witwickians and whatever. But yeah, otherwise it'd be. I don't know. Is that like a total screw off Shia? You'll never be in the series again. That's how I read it. They show him. They they may flash past the Wright brothers and Harriet Tubman and Abraham Lincoln and list so many names that it's clear on the second viewing they actually have overdubbed Anthony Hopkins talking over himself. The names are so unimportant. Michael Bay's literally going to have him talking twice at once. But the last figure we see for a good five seconds is the stupidest looking Shia LaBeouf picture they could find. And the parents and anything, anyone else. Okay. All dead. Okay. Did you recognize the picture of Shia though? Was it his police mug? <laughs> it was his eBay photo from the first movie, Ladies Man 217. Oh, okay. I didn't recognize what it was. I just realized, hey, that's Shia and he looks like a buffoon. Yeah, okay. I get it. Yeah, there's definitely some scores being settled here that Bay. Yeah, I, I could only take it to mean that, okay, yeah, we've killed him off and killed off that whole possibility. And so now we're stuck with Anthony Hopkins. Usually a good proposition, but here he is in the final stages of Baziness. <laughs> And that really is a fatal disease. He seems to be senile. He's wandering around talking about clocks that kill Hitler. This stuff is really bad. Oh, my God. What, how bad is it that we have a intensely needless flashback of Bumblebee as part of the Devil's Brigade attacking Nazis? A scene that caused some controversy before it was released because it was filmed at Winston Churchill's house. They actually hung big Nazi flags from Winston Churchill's house. Again, you wonder, is this a tease for a movie that they think we would want? Uh, you know, I guess if you look at Marvel, Marvel has been able to go back to World War II and make that work with space fantasy and what have you. Are they really thinking they're going to do the same thing that all of these are coming attractions for the Transformer universe. It's the only reason you have this scene, but God help me when we see the movie where the watch kills Hitler and frames it as a suicide. Yeah, I don't even understand that. Later, he'll use that to threaten the Prime Minister for I don't know why. <laughs> we discussed this with the X-Men films. When they went to World War II, are you skirting the line of poor taste? Here, I think Bay has gunned his engine past the line of poor taste and into complete lunacy. Yeah, I mean, people like this kind of stuff, and it can be kind of fun, the kind of Da Vinci Code national treasure. Let's work in a history we know with a mythology that's obviously fictitious. But yeah, bad taste. You know, where does it end here? I mean, it's it's appalling, really. Truthfully, I have a theory coming out of this movie. Bay is a lunatic. Okay. He is truly a madman. That he is much like we see Edmonds here on screen. He's rambling. He's incoherent. He's not making any sense. He's babbling about World War II and babbling about King Arthur. And nobody around him knows what's going on. But in the end, he has a pretty picture around him. I just walk away from this thinking Bay probably can't string two sentences together. 
Yeah, and he has cogmen that will try to make it good by banging on the organ and doing all the chores and, and fulfilling all the duties. I laughed like hell when Cogman was doing the score. I thought that was hysterical. He's up there playing the organ and they tell him to stop and then he starts doing the, oh, <laughs> they tell him to stop again. In the final scene of the movie, I started laughing to myself, hoping because there's this big bombastic music, I hope they pan over and it was Cogman playing it again. I'd like to have Scoratron follow me around in life. <laughs> Him and Hound, those were the only two jokes, and only Cogman when he was playing the music. The rest of the time, he's what, punching himself? He's homicidal? He prefers the term sociopathic? Now, I heard Cogman was a headmaster. Jerry, I thought you might find that interesting. He never at any point becomes the head of a vehicle in this, but I guess when they come out with the toy Cogman, there's a car he's going to attach to. Well, it was the car he was driving in the movie. It was the Aston Martin. Oh, okay. Yeah, so because I only saw it once, I don't remember if there was any moment in time where we saw him on the robot, but we didn't see him go on and off it. But that Aston Martin he's driving, that's his... Apparently, and I, I only know this because of other research that he's even a headmaster. It wasn't obvious in a single view into the movie, but that's his shell, his car form. That would have been cool to actually see in this movie as if he could take on the head of a car. It would have given him a reason to be so short. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of kind of cool Transformer concepts in this movie that they don't do anything with. Bay doesn't do anything with or doesn't. It's like he brings it up because he was supposed to run through a checklist or something. I don't know what you're getting out of this. Other than the idea is he's been around for a long time. But then again, you know, they invented the wheel. So all of these have been around for a long time. I don't know why he would be more malfunctioning or or more prone to fits of rage. We don't even know that he... Yeah, he has been serving the Falcons for a long time. Yeah. So I guess he is old. He's not as old, though, as the droid with dementia i don't know why you can't just repair him i mean you can repair everything else except for bumblebee's voice box all right i laughed at the siri voice i, I liked hearing siri curse day trader is a punk ass bitch made me laugh yeah okay i mean you know i guess if we're talking about kind of funny things it was kind of funny to see vivian and her mom and her aunts talking trying to set her up with man woman or dungeon master but <laughs> It felt a little British. It was kind of surprising to see uh, some Anglophile, you know, again, Bay, I always think a lot of Americana, but here they're, they're trying to hew a little bit to England and culture just for a little bit with Hira and her family. But this is all here so that she can raid her dad's study. And I don't get this. What? There's a pop-up book with an address to a Navy yard. That's the military museum. That's a submarine that's going to <laughs> go to a spaceship. <laughs> said it out loud and it's really funny <laughs> yeah these are the jokes i'm laughing at what it is is all right her father was previously the last direct descendant of merlin what does merlin have to do with anything because merlin when he touched the staff he kind of you know went up what, 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 what kind of motion and it embedded his dna so only someone with merlin's dna can control the staff so even if megatron or quintessa or whoever got it it doesn't help unless you have a descendant of merlin so what you're telling me is someone needs to shoot vivian and then the problem is solved the planet is saved yes okay we'll get to that because that doesn't turn out to be the case now is it no i mean yeah yeah there's plenty more choking hazards to come but yeah <laughs> this is what they're telling us now pop-up book to submarine so in ancient times, in 400 AD, we got to see Merlin's funeral. All the knights were honoring him. At exactly what point did the knights put him on a spaceship in the ocean? 
I mean, I got nothing. (laughs) (laughs) They took him later. (laughs) The dragon took him? Sure. I mean, all the other people were going to be dead in 20, 30 years anyway, so who cared about Merlin? They they could have tomb-robbed him at any point. And she's complaining because, you know, the one thing father didn't have, honor. Why didn't he have honor? We never know this. Did he cheat on his wife? I have no clue. No, I think it's because he talked about the fairy tales of old. Because he believed in Merlin, he was an unhonorable man. Again, I think Michael Bay has a real stick up his craw about, you know, these hoity-toity intellectuals. I don't think that's why you say someone has no honor. You can say they have no basis in reality, but that's not why you get so pissy and say they have no honor. When she first goes into the room, she flashes back to how harsh he was on her because she was messing with his stuff like he cared more about his myths and his fairy tales than he really did her that's not honor but it's you know it's it's a reason for her to be bitter so i guess yeah but all the women who were there are like you're right your dad had no honor so it's not like they were defending him (laughs) he was an ass okay why but he did read her stories you know we did see the one flashback where he's like don't touch that my father was kind of the same way he had a similar looking chess set and i did break the thing and guess who got a beating so i don't think my father's dishonorable but there's a second flashback where she was on his lap and he was reading her a pop-up book and she remembers that this pop-up book had this one pop-up where he wrote about this museum and i think this museum is real the hms alliance is a world war ii submarine that when you go to london you can tour and take pictures in and it's part of their history there but apparently now it worked with bumblebee in world war ii as a transformer and has been sitting there waiting for vivian this whole time to take her to some alien spaceship underwater off the coast of London. Not only that, but Iffy Hopkins like walks up to buy a ticket to this museum and he's like, this museum is closed forever. I'm like, <laughs> in this day and age, that gets you a quick exit to Homeland Security, okay? <laughs> you say that to people, you're not going on the ride, okay? There's no Homeland Security in England. That's a US thing. This yeah. is London. Yeah, well, anyway, the point is we got there and this is the magical thing. There was a there was a second movie, right? There was an old World War One plane that came back and kind of did the same thing they they do like to have this conceit that we'll have an old military vehicle of some kind come back as a transformer but anthony hopkins can't go with them he wasn't paid enough this is where his number of days on set end all i imagine and i literally imagine this is you know how when you start a restaurant and you make your first dollar instead of spending it you put it in a frame and put it on the wall Mm -hmm. i literally picture anthony hopkins framing the check for this after using you know like a mobile deposit thing and caressing it between scenes (laughs) to find his motivation to get back out there and say some of the most embarrassing lines in anthony hopkins entire filmography i mean seriously when he's talking to kate you want to know don't you dude i'm like when did we get to full house and then the lamborghini comes up what a bitchin car she is and move your fat ass when getting people off the sub anthony 
I don't know how many zeros were on the check, <laughs> but I'm still feeling bad for you. You were once Hannibal Lecter. You now look like you ate Hannibal Lecter, and you're you're the Orson Welles. Oh my god! Oh my god! He's the Orson Welles of this film. <laughs> his best, his most degrading moment is yet to come. Again, my favorite moment in the entire Transformers universe is it when he flips off the TRF person in the car next to him. It is not, but yeah, that, through a lot of contrivance, they get to this trans transforming sub he sends them on their way cogman is around to go fish for a romantic dinner and we have some very uncomfortable you know you got to put it in here right two attractive leads and we got to have some kind of sexual innuendo it's been a long time for Cade. he hasn't had sex in a while that's why he's the knight if he'd been getting any yeah. then he wouldn't have been knighthood material that, that is an interesting joke that how long i mean I almost get glimpses of a Mark Wahlberg I like, like the Mark Wahlberg from the first Ted film, during the scenes where he's playing off of Vivian. It's almost like Marky Mark is trying to ad-lib real humor in whatever leaden script he's been given, but it's just not working. I don't think that anyone he's playing off of is quick enough to go with some of that humor. I think he can ad-lib okay. So I get some glimpses of that, but Cogman's confusing me because he's like, no canoodling. I'm going to go make you sushi a la Cogman. Yeah, I mean, it makes as much a sense as anything here. I mean, honestly, I feel like the, the, we've always seen this with Shia LaBeouf and his girlfriends. There's always that kind of humor. I mean, for lack of a better word, this is what Bay thinks is funny. There's so much less of it in this movie, though. I dare say that's a positive. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I actually don't mind this stuff. It's not the dumbest stuff in this movie. The most Bay thing in this movie, though, is going back to when they, when Vivian and Kate are in the dad's room, and all the women kind of like, oh, she brought she brought a man home, and oh, I can't get it out. Oh, slower, 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 or something. You know, it did seem at first like they were saying things that could have been said during sex, but then very quickly in the middle of it, it's like, what a hoarder he is. And so I'm like, wait, there's no possible sexual scenario where what a hoarder he is could be used. If there is, PM me. I'd like to know that. Yeah, I think that you could, you know, you know how innuendo works. You can make anything sound dirty, sure. But the fact that they're breaking everything, it didn't work right. It's but I think we've agreed a long time ago, Bay has no sense of humor that works. If it's funny, it's because Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are making it up on the spot. So the submarine is going to go to an alien ship, and they're followed not by Decepticons, but by more TRF agents. Yeah, Linux is okay with them firing missiles at them. and As Barricades with the TRF. I found it very interesting to see a U.S. police car racing through London streets. But I think there's a huge opportunity missed here. Have you guys noticed, and it took me watching five movies almost back to back to realize this, but Transformers, they all drive like assholes. Like, they're racing past everything. Do you imagine that they could have hid from the TRF if they just scanned a nice, calm vehicle and stayed in their lane and signaled when turning? They could have gotten everywhere <laughs> they were going. Hidden in plain sight, right? Robots in disguise that follow road rules. I mean, seriously, the TRF would never look for them that way. Meanwhile, there is, like, this giant planet in the sky that they know is coming, and this is the best use of their resources. They know a robot planet in the sky is destroying the moon, will get to Earth in less than three days, and that is less pressing than shooting down this sub. All right, I 
bitched about this movie's continuity. I did like that Sentinel Prime ship was still on the moon near the moon lander, and they all got destroyed. I thought that was a nice little callback. They probably had no idea. Hey, there's your continuity. There's there's no reason why it wouldn't have been there. <laughs> <laughs> Same director. That's all you get. And then, yes, it is coming to Earth, and there's one actor I feel worse for in this movie than Anthony Hopkins, and that is poor Tony Hale. I am a Tony Hale fan. I don't know if you guys know him, but I've watched every episode of Arrested Development. He was Buster Bluth on that show. He's a very funny comedian who's been on a lot of stuff. I've seen many seasons of Veep, and I eventually walked away from that show. But yeah, he's very good on that show. This is your moment where Bay is making some comment towards intellects and science over faith or, or whatever with his shenanigans that I, I don't think made any difference this movie at all. It was just really, really out of place. Like it was literally spliced in from another movie. Well, that movie would be Armageddon where Bay did this exact same stuff, but better. <laughs> when you have something coming from space that they need to stop that's going to destroy all life on Earth. It felt like outtakes when you have CNN saying life as we know it is going to change and doing this alarmist news reporting and things are destroying parts of the Earth and you have a scientist there telling us everything's going to die. But this is Tony Hale and I'm trying to find in my notes, what's this guy's name? What's this guy's name? He's credited as JPL Engineer. He mm. works for the Jet Propulsion Lab. That's all he gets? You have Tony Hale and you don't even give him a name? Yeah, he's a buffoon. Again, he hears about this plan to go to Merlin's tomb in the spaceship under the ground. And silly man, he doesn't want to believe in any of that. How can you believe in fairy tales? You have to believe in science and what's provable. And of course, he'll be made to look like the stupid one. This Merlin thing actually has validity in Bay's mind. That you can't actually go to the submarine at the bottom of the ocean, climb in, and look into... Literally, there's a tomb with... Merlin's skeleton inside. I couldn't figure out where was the staff? The staff was in there and it looked wooden. And so Marky Mark down there, Cade, is like, oh my God, it's not the staff. I could have carved this out of oak and he throws it across the room. But when Vivian touches it with her Merlin DNA, it turns into a magical staff. So it took Vivian to change it from wood to something cool. Okay. Nice job, Vivian. And I do feel like there was a lot of, probably at one point, some notion that we need to create a really strong female and that, you know, we haven't seen that in the Transformers world yet. And we were going to give her all these things to do. And then Bay was like, no, we're not going to have her do all of this. And so I just feel like her part was reduced to TNA, what Michael Bay is comfortable doing with women. Oh, this movie had by far the least leering gazes at women of any of the movies. There were no moments with Vivian hanging over a car. Yes, Marky Mark does refer to her as wearing a stripper dress at one point, attempting to objectify her, but I, she and Marky Mark both look like Oompa Loompas during certain scenes of this where the spray tanner went awry, but she's not oiled up. She's not arching her back. She is the most well-rounded female. Her and Isabella both are the most well-rounded female characters we've ever had in Transformers. Again, I feel like that was screenwriters working to create something that Bay didn't want to make. Well, he could have still slathered her with oil no matter what they wrote, and he did. <laughs> you're, you're considering this a success. <laughs> Feminists <laughs> rejoice. She's not coated in oil and splayed across the top of a car. 
Baby steps, Stuart. Baby steps. Okay. And he's not the last knight. I mean, unless the word last is a different definition to Michael Bay. Because there are 12 knights that are there, and they're beating the hell out of the TRF. I think the last knight is Cade. The last human knight. So basically, he's become a new knight of the round table, and he's the last one. And that talisman does, like, move around his body and sometimes becomes armor, like, protects him from bullets. I thought we were going to get something really cool, honestly. When he gets shot early on, and then he looks and the talisman protected him... I literally thought he was going to turn into a Transformer. We were going to find out that Cogman used to be human, and this talisman was going to take him over, and he was going to become, like, Robo-Knight at the end. Like, that's why Cogman was, like, a human. I really thought we were going to get Robo-Marky Mark at the end, and I would have liked that movie better. Uh, okay, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, we were all talking when the Transformers animated film, how cool it was when the little kid got to put on the suit and be like a Transformer. I was thinking it was like that. Well, putting on a suit, sure, but actually becoming a Transformer, that that would just been, that would have actually taken it, for me, into an even dumber direction. Could it? Yeah, I don't know how much deeper we can go into that. The spaceship services, and we get Optimus Prime back, or should I say, Nemesis Prime. Yes, because the TRF are attacking... The knights are attacking, and Optimus is going to come in, or Nemesis, and take the staff, put it in his little chest cavity. The TRF is going to attack him. The ship is surfacing, and we're getting to a noisy, confusing climax that I don't understand anything. All right, I will say this. You want a compliment? Here's the best one that I can say. I want to go to the Michael Bay amusement park where you can ride these rides because it always does look like good fun, right? I remember in the third one, there was like a a skyscraper that rocked back and forth and people slid all down the, the office side of the building and all of that. And here, watching them like slide into the water, I'm like, that would be fun. I actually did go to Universal Studios before I left LA a couple months ago and rode the Transformers ride. It was pretty good. It's a 3D stop motion screen ride, but I would like to do some of this gymnastics because it looks like a lot of fun. That's where Bay excels. When things are moving with velocity and you're watching these kinds of stunt work, that's when he is good, right? And this is where Cade and Lennox finally team up, too. Lennox is now Team Cade for at least 10 minutes. Well, they have the one common thing that, hey, Optimus isn't acting like Optimus. What's going on? We've got between trying to redeem Optimus from whatever state he's in and keeping Bumblebee alive, I think there's something there they can team up on to figure out what's going on. The thing that gets me, though, and at least it is something that plays back, we focus on Bumblebee's voice, and it does... Now, I don't know why... Bumblebee's real voice suddenly comes together because he's a mechanical being. (laughs) Either the real part, the right part is in there to create his voice or it's not. Yeah. Somewhere Bumblebee willed his voice to be proper, which woke up Optimus from his funk to say, wow. The only thing I can believe, because we know Optimus is lying when he goes, 
I've not heard your voice since before the war. Not true. You heard his voice in Transformers 1. We saw it. We all saw it. We all heard it. But then we all wondered why can't he talk in Transformers 2? My only belief is Bumblebee's been faking it the entire time. <laughs> Much like the movie The Ringer, where Johnny Knoxville pretends to be mentally challenged, Bumblebee has been pretending that he can't talk for five movies. I would lay down my life for you. It's very, oh boy, it's uh, full of bluster. I guess it's supposed to be moving, but yeah. Ugh. I took that bit from the first one that he was mustering up enough to make a simple statement about wanting to stay with Sam, but it really wasn't his true a voice I can use every day. No, I thought Ratchet said they fixed him. No, at some point Ratchet said, hey, I've been trying to fix it. That was earlier in the movie, but at the end, I was there with the boy. I thought he was just like trying to muster up sound from something that's not natural. But anyway, we're thinking too hard about that. But I mean, it just wakes him up, snaps him awake, and then the knights want to kill Pry because I guess he killed some of them. He at the very least attacked them. I assume that he actually, some of what he did in the ship was actually killing some of them. I would assume that, except they still form the dragon and all 12 are needed for the dragon. So I think he just knocked them off platforms. Maybe the dragon didn't have the same length of a tail. Who knows? <laughs> well, you know, and not to mention they're there to guard the staff. Good job, guys. And it did, by this point, already get up. Megatron has it. It's well on its way to Quintessa. And then Megatron's on his way to Stonehenge. I mean, let's follow Anthony Hopkins a little more. Oh, my God. So here it is. <laughs> okay. We're not talking about the same thing, by the way. No, but we got to go through the scrotum, the goat scrotum. We have Simmons in Cuba, and he's been calling Anthony Hopkins Burton, saying, I want to be in the Witwickens. And I know where this book is. This book that's written on old goat scrotum that's going to dissolve if it's in air. And I know about it because I know a janitor in a library in London. So, Burton, it's right by you, but I'm not going to tell you where to find this book unless you make me a Witwicken. So Burton finally gives in and says, okay, you're a Witwicken. I'm going to go through this speech. You're a Witwicken. And then... Totoro Simmons says, okay, it's in the library on this shelf. The book was just sitting on a shelf. And so Burton goes to the shelf and looks at the book, which is not dissolving and does not even look old. And so that's where he finds out it's Pangea and that the center of Pangea was Stonehenge. And so the center of all six horns is Stonehenge. And so the reason Stonehenge is there is because it's the center of Unicron's energy. And so when Quintessa is going to sap our energy from Earth, she has to do it at Stonehenge. We couldn't have known this without Simmons in Cuba. That's what happened. Yeah, that's the reason why <laughs> we know to go there in the first place. So the one thing I want to cover before we get to Stonehenge, though, Marky Mark... Cade, sorry, pulls out a sword out of nowhere and stops a blow from one of the knights. It's the talisman. The talisman becomes a sword. I get that. Okay. But here's the funny thing. He never uses it again. No, never. He's got a weapon and a strength because of the talisman to stop a blow from a transformer. And that never gets played again? The talisman spent as long on his junk as it did as a sword in this movie. I just want to say. Just really dumb. Yeah. And I don't feel like he's the only one. Yeah. So many people are set up to do something cool and then just decide not to do it. Case in point, Anthony Hopkins, 
who decided not to go in the submarine and do all the cool stuff that we've been watching for the last half hour. He had to follow the goat scrotum. <laughs> Did he? You know, all I got to say is, and God forbid when it happens, I'll be a very sad man. I love Anthony Hopkins. Do you still love Anthony Hopkins? Oh, yes. More than ever. Because when the day comes when he goes to the big playhouse in the sky and they have to put the Oscar clip reel together to commemorate his passing, I don't want them to do Silence of the Lambs or Howard's End or Elephant Man or any of that. I want to just see him flipping in the air as Stonehenge is exploding behind him because that is the greatest image I have ever seen in my life. Oh, it's so clearly not him because he loses 50 pounds after Megatron shoots him and then he gains it back when he lands. (laughs) I mean, I don't want to watch this. I will never watch this movie again, but I would watch that for like three hours. Just that image of him like flipping in the air with Stonehenge exploding behind him. And then the eulogy. I mean, the eulogy of Cogman just being like, you were by far the coolest. <laughs> what? <laughs> what on earth? Can you imagine when the, it comes out? I'm getting the Blu-ray. And I want to see the behind the scenes of Michael Bay directing Sir Anthony Hopkins' death scene here <laughs> and explaining him his motivation about why he's there, flipping in the air. And I mean, I can't imagine this dignified actor agreeing to do this moment. It's beyond my comprehension. Again, how many zeros were in that paycheck? <laughs> because you could convince people to do a lot for a lot of money. But what upsets me is, all right, he's had this walking stick. The walking stick transforms to a gun. It's the only time we hear the transformer transform sound effect in this movie that I could tell on two viewings. It goes, what you twitch it? It becomes a gun and Megatron blows him away. Megatron has been so ineffective at killing anything this whole movie. I would like to point out, Autobots kill more humans in this movie than Decepticons do because the nest guys get pissed off. Santos says those were a lot of my men that were killed when the Autobots are like ramming the TRS vehicles. Megatron kills Anthony Hopkins and he's the bad guy. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) You've got it. Yeah. Okay. So Anthony Hopkins did what? It doesn't matter for anyone. Nothing. All right. So, but Stonehenge (laughs) is pivotal because this is where... The Cybertron is going to start sucking out the... <laughs> the it's been what? sucking for two hours yeah. now. <laughs> what? And it needed... The, the sword is sucking out what? Life. It's the life. The sword isn't doing anything. Or the staff. I'm sorry. The staff. The staff is powering the ignition chamber. The ignition chamber is sucking out the energy from Earth, and it's literally reforming Cybertron. Cybertron was like a pillow that's been slept on too long, and it's all, and it is literally becoming a singular cohesive planet again by sucking the energy from Earth. And we get poor Tony Hale there telling us that we're losing our magnetic core, and so all the humans are going to explode like Jiffy Pop if Cybertron keeps getting its energy. And so he has this great idea. Let's nuke the ignition chamber. (laughs) No, but all right. So here's something I really don't. Everyone decides we're all going to get in planes and go get the staff back. Like Isabella is there somehow. She stowed away. Again? Yes. I think that's all she does. Yeah. But if she wasn't there, Squeaks wouldn't have been there to take out the big gun encampment. And if they hadn't taken out the gun, then... Vivian never could have gotten to the staff. So if it wasn't for Isabella, we'd all be dead. Okay. All right. I didn't follow any of that. But to my mind, what I witnessed was a bunch of people get in an airplane to go do something, crash, 
then say, oh crap, we have to leave because nukes are coming and jump off and parachute away. That's basically what these quote-unquote heroes are doing. Well, here's the funny thing. Optimus Prime rallies everybody together and says, follow me to the ignition chamber, whatever he calls it. He takes off. Just it's jetpack. He just takes off. And no one else can immediately follow him. No, they can't even breathe up there. They got like the mask. They're like, I, I mean, they just, they look pitiful. They crawl into a, a pit. Yeah. Yeah. They have to go in Ospreys. I can tell Michael Bay loves his military stuff as he keeps using. I wish I could do a shot for every time he said Osprey. And then they have to land on this station where Quintessa is now and Optimus is going to take out the Infernicons in one fell swoop which is actually kind of cool it's in the trailer he beheads like a dozen robots with one move but it's Vivian holding the staff that's going to turn everything off I think I will fully admit my eyes just glazed over at this point it was a bunch of people flipping weightless in space and then it just suddenly stopped suddenly quintessa got like knocked off and just like fell optimus hits her with a sword now he tried this earlier and she pulled hellraiser chains on him he does it this time and yeah she goes away okay well he distracts her for bumblebee to kind of get a sucker punch so he he doesn't take care of her single-handedly to your point i kind of liked his line as much as i like anything sting like a bee yeah that that was epic (laughs) <laughs> I said kind of like. I'm holding on to whatever I can, trying to give a compliment here. Uh, meanwhile, these heroes have watched as giant anchors have, like, cratered the entire planet and dr- gone destroyed the Great Pyramids. I think some Shanghai has been completely scraped off the map. Hong Kong. Yeah, I mean, this planet is devastated. There is no life left. Like, we've got, like, we went from whatever the population was down to, like, 30. <laughs> And Cybertron is still here, which has to be screwing with our gravitational pull, right? I'm going to give it this. I'm not a physicist, perhaps because Cybertron's a whole bunch of, like, knotted balls of planet instead of a single mass. Maybe it wouldn't have gravitational pull. Maybe it's... But we lost the International Space Station. We do still have a moon. It's just got a new crater. It's got a new sea of not tranquility. Mm. And it's permanently tethered to us. Yes, And Optimus is like, let's go home. He gets on a spaceship. He could climb there. There's literally ropes. Yeah, when they're standing there looking at the wreckage that is Earth and Cybertron, Optimus says something, and I I wrote this down. I wonder if Bay is making a political statement. Our fates were always intertwined, but now our worlds are joined as one. We need to repair our planet, work together if we wish to survive. Is this Michael Bay doing a pro-environment reach-across-the-aisle message? Like, we're really screwed if Republicans and Democrats can't work together? No, I I think that the fact that our planet is actually made of a beast with horns kind of (laughs) announces his position on ecology. I think, yeah, he's just kind of made a wreck of things and figures somebody else can fix the war. He's waving the white flag. And so am I. I don't know, this whole we have to work together thing, given that he does have political statements in these films, admittedly, they're muddy and clumsy, and this is the muddiest and clumsiest of them all. Sure, and maybe that's Hillary Clinton wandering around trying to tempt the evil scientist to to strike back again. I don't know, but uh, whatever his intentions, it's lost in all the, the din and noise. 
I couldn't believe it. I thought it was going to end like part three where they just kick Cybertron back to Cybertron or we'd reclaim our energy back from Cybertron and it would be fully destroyed, atomized. I'm used to Michael Bay killing thousands and thousands of people. I'm not used to him leaving a complete planet in the sky. I guess he's thinking, I'm done. This is for the next director to clean up. <laughs> well, it's funny because that whole scene reminded me of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles second movie where they're rebuilding the Technodrone over the Earth. And it played a lot of the same ways where they have to go up in the air and have this battle over a planetoid over top of our planet. It's just the same beats that Michael Bay's playing there. Same producer. Well, yeah, that's that's why I said Michael Bay's playing the same beat. I'm guessing you guys didn't pick up on this, and already maybe you did. But the one thing I did really enjoy, not a plot point, but just a, a, a callback. Did you catch the moment when Megatron and Optimus are fighting, and Optimus kicks him through the side wall of that structure they're in, and he just flies out? Yeah, I noticed that. Ready to come back for the next one. Well, not only that, but to me, it was it was Rodimus and Galvatron fighting on Unicron from the anime movie. Remember, they kind of he becomes Rodimus, they scuffle, he picks him up and just throws him out of the side wall, and Galvatron flies out forever, and we don't see him the rest of the movie. Oh yeah, I thought, hey, wow, they they actually did that. Good callback. I didn't catch that. We needed the touch to play in the background when it happened, but whatever. I like the touch better than this song, torches. Ex-Ambassadors, I don't know what this is. It sounds like Incubus. It's not Incubus. Closing it out. So, Jerry Stewart, my master is fond of saying all the important decisions in life often come down to just one moment. This is the moment. Jerry Stewart, do you recommend Transformers The Last Night? Jerry. I have to admit, I can watch a movie like this, and because I'm so engaged in the Transformer universe, I'm just really curious. Okay, where's this going? What are they doing next? What are they going to have this character do? What's going on here? But even even I, watching this movie, thought, man, this is such a mess. Nothing's point A to point B. It's not as linear as even Age of Extinction was. I think it still avoids some of the problems from the Shia LaBeouf trilogy, if we can call it that. But by and large, it is... It is as if Michael Bay thought, this is my last movie, last time I'm going to do this, and I'm going to literally put in every little thing that I think of to do, whether it makes sense or not. And no, it doesn't work. It's a very pretty looking movie. It's looked great on IMAX 3D. I sat there and watched it and took it all in, and at no point was bored, at no point was angered by it. But it's funny It's funny you said something, Arnie, that, that I literally said to my wife when we were walking out of the theater. I'm like, wow, if I didn't think it before, I think it now. Michael Bay has absolutely lost his mind. He just put together uh, an absolute nonsensical story, which admittedly is, you scratch your head with a lot of things in this series, but I've obviously recommended three of the movies I think we've, we've reviewed. But I'm not going to recommend this one. This one is a not recommend. It's not a strong not recommend, but it's not a mild one either. I think most people... Especially when I think about a theatrical movie, other movies being out. Yeah, hey, if you're going to if you're going to the theaters the next couple of days after listening to this, see something else. This one is not going to be fulfilling. As a Transformers fan, I had to see it. I have to know where they're going. I got to kind of guess what's going to happen next, what the multiverse is going to be like. I enjoy kicking back and thinking, hey, all these themes could have been done like this. I wish they had tied this to this and this. And I'm just, I'm just going to think about what the movie could have been. And that's part of the fun being a Transformers movie. But no, not a recommend for me. Jerry, so this is the only one other than the universally reviled Revenge of the Fallen that you've not recommended. This is epic. Yeah, well, last night, hopefully it's the last film. Whew. 
Stewart. Yeah, I got to agree with that. And I don't, th- you know, I haven't liked any of them, so nobody cares what I think. But I would say everyone is going to feel like this is a career low, a franchise low. I thought it came to this ready to play ball. Honestly, I'd seen the other Transformers movies. I'd recently re- watched the two Bad Boys film. I know Bay's many weaknesses and I know his strengths. And I thought, okay, he's going to do what he does. What is shocking, when I walked in this arena, I had the helmet on, the shoulder pads, the cleats. And then, you know, you look around, there's croquet wickets, there's pool, there's ping pong balls, there's volleyball nets. I had to ask myself halfway through this movie, what game is being played (laughs) here? What are the rules? How does anyone even win in this busyness that has overtaken this franchise. I mean, I know that Transformers fans have made peace with busyness. They know this director is sloppy with storytelling. They don't care. They like a spectacle. But what I'm here to tell you is you can't even give him the past that you've given him in previous films because here none of his heroes win. Why last night is the biggest failure is the fact that he moved the goalpost out of the field entirely. There is no victories. No mission here is successful. Cade never reconnects with his daughter. The talisman never comes off his arm. Optimus does not end the war that started the whole Cybertron battle coming here in the first place. Vivian, Isabella, Jimmy J, Agent Simmons, Lennox, and certainly Anthony Hopkins. No character does a single thing that changes the course of events in this entire climax. I mean, it is said that there can be no heroes without sacrifice. I say there can be no heroes with all these spectators. This is a movie that does absolutely nothing but make very loud noises and announces that Michael Bay has no more ideas for this franchise, maybe for cinema. So that's a no? That's a very strong not recommend. (laughs) Yeah, I went in also ready to play ball. I was going in with the lowest of expectations, but coming off of the first one I recommended. And coming off of two Bad Boys films, one of which I loved and one of which I didn't hate, I just couldn't recommend. But this one, I really watched it the first time, and for the first hour, I sat there, and at like the one hour mark, I wasn't into the movie, and I'm asking myself, it's kind of like the last one. Do you hate it? Do you like it? Is it a recommend? I don't know. It's not that much different than the last one. And then we get everybody together in London, and this thing goes down a toilet fast. I can't believe, I mean, like a man underwater wanting oxygen. I'm grabbing onto anything I can find slightly entertaining. Like, hot run! Where, is he French? Who knows? He says he can't get rid of the accent. Where I'm trying to find anything to get enjoyment out of. And by the last half an hour of this movie, I was legitimately pissed off. It really had me mad. I felt like Madeline Kahn and Clue, where I was like, flames burning flames just i couldn't articulate words but i had fury that was all i could do i mean honestly at one point in my notes i wrote it's not trf it's wtf i don't know why anyone's attacking anyone other than they've had to sit through a michael bay film and they're all as just homicidal as cogman is in this i mean at one point (laughs) cade is admonishing isabella because he's like 
It's like being in a dentist chair. Do you like going to the dentist? I actually would have rather been in a dentist chair than sit through this movie a second time. I've had a root canal recently. It was literally more pleasant because there was Novocaine. Michael Bay needs to give me some Novocaine before a Transformers film. This movie sucks. It's terrible. And I truthfully question Bay's sanity. I question if he's maybe on drugs or just had a disassociative event. Maybe he had a stroke. But does he watch this movie and think to himself, that makes sense? Because nothing here makes sense. And it's not even enjoyable spectacle. It's endless. But by the end, it's tiresome. It's the strongest of not recommends. It's the worst of the series by far. I thought Revenge of the Fallen wasn't as bad as everybody else thought. I I have always put that animated film as the worst Transformers ever put on celluloid. Congrats, animated film. You're number two. Yeah, Hopkins says at one point, has my life been wasted? No, it certainly hasn't, but you've been wasted. And everyone was wasted in this movie. That is what is so frustrating. If you're a fan of anything at all connected to this, I got to believe if you like Transformers, I don't feel like they get many battles between each other that have any kind of sense of victory. I mean, what can you root for when there are no rules to the game? Seriously, I need villains and I need good guys. And I need them to fight. I just want simplicity. It's amazing to me that with this much money and this much talent, including Steven Spielberg touching this film, that you can't even give me banal, rote story. You can't give me anything. I understand wanting to reach for more and stumbling, but honestly, in all the movies that we have done for now playing, only one other film do I believe to be this incoherent? And that's truly Inland Empire. And we just did it. But those are the two. That one's intentionally, that one at least Lynch wanted to be incoherent. This is truthfully the most unintelligible film that we've reviewed. I don't get it. I don't understand how this gets released. I don't understand how this gets made. I don't understand the creative process. It's like a woman and a man have sex and a goat is given birth to. I don't (laughs) understand. And which of the many dangling threads that have left behind do you think they're going to pick up one next? That's what I'm worried about. It's like, okay, everyone can smell the stink, the exhaust coming off of this one. They're going to back away. I'm quite sure that, as you said, Wahlberg will not return and probably all of this will be ignored. His exact quote was, I get my life back. (laughs) (laughs) But where do you go? I mean, do they make Bumblebee for next summer? That's what they're saying. It's going to be a period piece. Mm. It's going to be like Monster Trucks, which we're reviewing this Friday. You mean the biggest flop of this year? Okay. (laughs) Seems like a plausible thing. Is he going to go to World War II and fight Nazis? It's going to be in the 80s, and it's going to be Bumblebee and a kid. Okay. Well, at least it's not Nazis. And it's, in fact, aimed at an entirely different audience. While they understand the Bay former films have been aimed at older teenagers, this one is going to be kiddified. So it is literally a remake of Monster Truck. Yes, I say this! (laughs) Which we will be discussing for the patrons later this week. And it is a better movie than The Last Night, I promise you. Yeah, I definitely will side with that. One thing that I mentioned in the Monster Truck review that I'll I'll echo here again. I'll admit, 
a lot of things has changed just with my interest in Transformers since we talked Age of Extinction. When was that? 2014? I'm not as into it. I, I stopped collecting the toys because it's a very expensive habit. I mean, Artie, it's, it's on the level of hot toys sometimes depending on what you're buying and, you know, Oh, I know. Which version of Transformers and Masterpieces and international imports, etc., etc. So I, I back the heck off away from that. But hey, even me, five movies into this? Hey, I like the 2007 one. I mean, I like I said, I watched Revenge of the Fallen today, and I sat through it and watched the entire movie, and I just, and I hated that one. I was like, okay, you know, I can follow it. Still, my Transformers, Bumblebee's cool. I like to see what's happening. You know, it's my arena, but five movies into it and just kind of knowing what you're going to get with Michael Bay, even, even I wouldn't have seen this in a theater if it wasn't for this. If it wasn't for the podcast, which I enjoy doing, but it's just kind of where I'm at right now with, you know, with this franchise. Yeah. Your love of and nostalgia for something that you normally would make immediate time to see. It's not enough here. I do think that's part of the problem. Even the quality of this movie aside, I think part of the low box office is some of the problem is been there, done that. We've seen it all before. They need new blood. I don't care where they go with this franchise, but I bet you Bumblebee is better than any of these Bayformer ones because it will just have a different director and a narrower focus. I get confused at all the amount of characters and all of the various storylines and just the random baziness. If that goes away, I think it helps this franchise immensely. I still remember, having re-listened to our podcasts, how much I loved Transformers as a kid. And in 2011, when we did our retrospective and I went back and rewatched season one of G1, how much I loved that. And I keep looking at Bayformers. I understand that he's insistent they must actually be physical correct. You have to see what a truck would really be able to turn into and challenge the designers. He didn't want to go with the look of the old ones. Fine. But why doesn't he have the spirit of that? Why is this Transformers in name and voice actor only? I know they have 14 films planned. But they're really only working on two. They're working on Bumblebee next year and Transformers 6 for the year after that. Okay. Do we know anything about that? No, they have no plans. They they, they have 14 things. They have, like, strands out there, but they really don't have something lined up for after this. They're going to let the next creator decide which of wow. the stories he wants to tell. I mean, if I'm just thinking about what would be worth picking up at this point... I would do nothing with Arthur and Merlin. Get Never go near that ever again, ever, ever, ever. Absolutely not, yeah. I wouldn't go to World War II and Nazis either, frankly. That sounds like an extremely tasteless idea. I agree, but truthfully, what I'm saying is, I think the only salvation is Reboot. But I understand Paramount, these have made them a lot of money, and they're hurting for hits this year really bad, mm. and so they're probably not going to want the risk of rolling the dice and starting over with something new. They want to be able to bring us Bumblebee next year and make it the same Bumblebee who's been on Earth for whatever reason since World War II, and they're going to want to just give us all these stories that Spielberg somehow signed off on. I think you start over. I think you maybe go to the 80s, make it all a period piece, and mm. bring us back to the originals, or at least start us in the 80s. Look at X-Men First Class, the way they went through decades. If you want a Bumblebee movie in the 80s, make Bumblebee the first Transformer on Earth in the 80s and have whatever you're doing with him, but new design, new voice actors, and start us over. 
I'll say one more thing, too, that I feel pretty strongly about. And maybe I'm even contradicting things I said in earlier podcasts, but I feel like this is the way now. Make Optimus Prime and the actual Transformers the characters. Have them be doing the plots, saying the dialogue, being a big integral part to the story, deferring all to the military and teenagers and women in England, just distracts from what seems to be the attraction of the show. I think that having people there does ground it, but I think you got to have the right people, and Bay always has the same people in all his movies. The military, the teenagers, the hot girls. But, I mean, I still don't know why Optimus Prime is cool, and we're five movies in. Show me why he's cool. Have him do cool things. Yes, agreed. They need to be superheroes. But I think the only way to do this right is to start it over. Because whoever's picking up the pieces of Cybertron is now sitting as a new moon for Earth is just coming into a bad, bad place. Yeah, and I'm not sure having G.I. Joe and Mask run in there is going to help them either. Where I'm at, I'm kind of with you guys, it, it needs to be rebooted. The thing that you guys can probably imagine, that Transformer fans, I mean people who are far more hardcore than I am, have absolutely no use and have nothing to do with with this bayformers universe i mean they detest it okay as you can imagine yeah and well they should i mean this movie's not even playing it's playing to the mass audience who just wants to see a who cares that's why it makes so much money the transformer audiences oh this sucks so this bumblebee movie next year needs to reboot it this needs to be a different bumblebee everything you guys are saying get get away from the michael bay hey, this needs to be correct and physically, mechanically correct. Like a car's engine needs to be a part of... No, just give us the Transformers that we know and love that brought them to the dance. And I'm kind of hoping that last night will be such a big dip in it that maybe the, you know, in the box office that they'll rethink whatever it is they're thinking. Don't do a Transformers 6. Do a new Transformers based on something else. My recommendation to this massive writer's room is know exactly what you're going to do for the next three or four movies in that reboot to get it all planned out well and know where you're going and hitting the the typical beats. Michael Bay is throwing in, like for instance, he makes Unicron to be the Earth who's not actually a character because you got to have Unicron somewhere. But that's not what Unicron is. So in short, get someone that actually knows the cartoon and is a fan of the original stuff. Yeah, I get when you're doing a movie universe. I mean, somebody could hear what I'm saying say, hey, if you... If you want so much of what Transformers is, go to the animation and go to the comics and get it there. The movies need to be something different. So, you know, don't be a slave to it, but but start over. I think, look at Marvel. Marvel has done that amazingly, being true to the comics, but also mixing it up and still surprising us. I think what you're saying, Jerry, could work tremendous with that. But I, I tell you what, they, they have been pretty successful with combining Transformers and G.I. Joe in various comics, and it works well. If they're not going to include, and, and, and I get it, I don't know what the licensing deals are, but if Transformers isn't going to be part of the greater Hasbro cinematic universe, I think that's a mistake. I think you can have a lot of cool interactions among them, but they need to stop. If the Bay 5 are done, do something completely different with these next 14 movies you're planning. I agree. I think Bay's fingerprints are just too greasy on the celluloid here. I know we're in a digital age, but follow my metaphor. <laughs> that. You can't follow this up anymore. No. Bay's gone. Start over. Do something new. Even if you do kind of like a Batman Begins, where you're doing a prequel that you're like, well, if you squint, you might want to say it's the same universe, but then we're really doing a soft reboot that's going to become a harder reboot once it gets its fingernails in. 
Yeah, I think if you remove Bay, you've removed everything that's that's wrong here. And maybe what's right, too. I mean, I don't know. Maybe technically they won't be as good. But I do think if you different director. The one thing that we can't know is how it feels to have another director shepherd this project. And I imagine that will be a reboot in and of itself, to have no Bays in this. Yeah, I, I just look at two films I've seen this summer that I didn't like. The Mummy and Guy Ritchie's King Arthur. And you know what? They were both not good movies, but they were both completely bland, and I didn't walk out of there just wondering how it happened. No matter who fills Bay's seat, at the very least, we're just going to get mediocrity, I think. <laughs> Anyone that dares take it should try. And yeah, I'm sure that it can go better. So will a quality director want to take it on after, yeah, Unicron and Cybertron have attached themselves so thoroughly that's i guess that what we won't know until yeah all the box office is counted and who knows maybe the next one will be entirely in chinese and they'll just make it for the china audience i don't know if you guys noticed but there were a ton of chinese websites in this one like when wheelie was looking at car porn it was a chinese website when they're loading apps on their phone it was all chinese language it's halfway there mm. but yeah china we're looking at you if we're here discussing bumblebee next year it's China's fault. You know, I haven't been as anti-China as some Americans have been lately, but you could make me that way. I think making Transformers 5 a success is the worst thing since Tiananmen Square. <laughs> and on that note, why don't we talk about things we are looking forward to? Well, Jerry, you're going to be back with us this Friday for more carnage with monster trucks. <laughs> Woohoo! And then next week... We're going back to the theaters for something that now playing doesn't really cover a lot of. An original concept! Sure. Although, we have some familiarity with the creator. It's Edgar Wright. I think we've covered just about everything he's ever made. And what he's made now is Baby Driver. I'm looking forward to it. It is in the running for my most anticipated movie this year. People have asked me all year, Arnie, what movie are you looking forward to most? They're asking me, is it Thor? Is it Guardians? Is it Spider-Man? Justice League, what movie is it? And everybody, when I said Baby Driver, was like having to Google Baby Driver. What the hell is he talking about? Thinking that it's something like Baby's Day Out with an infant behind a wheel. I've had three different people say, is that an infant driving? Yeah, not to mention we just had the baby boss or whatever. It sounds like an animated thing, but uh, hopefully it delivers. From the word I'm, the buzz I'm hearing is that it could be the film of summer. And don't forget also, we've got a lot of shows in our current donation drive that help pay for things like multiple IMAX viewings of really shitty films. <laughs> we've got all the Planet of the Apes films. We've got a new one of those coming up. We've got the Aliens films. We've got the Pirates of the Caribbean films. And we've got Now Peaking going on. You can find out all the details, how you can support our show and keep us going at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate because we need more than Energon to suffer through another Transformers film. But we'll be back next week with Baby Driver till all are one. Our races united by a history long forgotten and a future we shall face together. I am Optimus Prime, and I send this message so that our pasts will always be remembered. For in those memories, we live on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Transformers Movie Retrospective Series. 
Tell Grimlock about Petro Rabbits again. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. Never seen anything like this before. In the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews of film series such as X-Men, Star Trek, The Shining, 2001, A Space Odyssey, G.I. Joe, Robocop, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Your friends will love it. Sure, it's a lot of fun. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the Transformers movies with other listeners. Are you not surprised to see us? You can also follow NowPlaying on Facebook and Twitter where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. We are here. We are waiting. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. I owe you my life. We are in your debt. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Just ask yourself, what would Jesus do? You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available at our homepage. Like us, there's more to them than meets the eye. Now Playing's Transformers Retrospective Series is edited by Heath and Arnie. Did you know it was going to be this hard? Can you just stop? Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. You have a really bad habit of having these conversations at the wrong time, man. Now Playing is not affiliated with Hasbro Incorporated, Paramount Pictures, DreamWorks Pictures, or 20th Century Fox. Not a word until we get a lawyer! Transformers and all the Transformers universe contains is the property of Hasbro Incorporated, and no infringement is intended. Okay, so what? I've downloaded a couple of thousand songs off the internet. Who has it? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. There's something a little fishy about you, your son, your little Taco Bell dog, and this whole operation you got going on here. Now playing as a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Come on, showtime's over. We've got work to do. Can you be Cliff Notesicon? <laughs> Well, I'll try not to be you suckacon with this, but uh, we will give it a shot. It's going to be a little lengthy, and I still left a bunch out for us to just talk about. So let me give it a shot. We'll see where it goes. You do that. I'm going to be here. Suckacon. 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 Want to rock you. Want to rock you, suckacon. <laughs> it's my favorite Transformer. I wanted to go back, and I actually went back and watched Revenge of the Fallen. Mm-hmm. To see which is worse? Yeah, Arnie, that's, why I, that's exactly why I did it. <laughs> Because that's absurd. <laughs> I don't know what that means, that's absurd. Does that mean because Revenge of the Fallen is so clearly worse or because this is so clearly worse? <laughs> and we have two factions. The TRF, led by Santos, and apparently Mitch Pelleggi is in this movie somewhere. Two watchings, I couldn't find him. But he was the TRF head. Did you see him, Jerry? Actually, I don't even know who that actor is, so I wouldn't have known if I did. Bald guy from the X-Files? I never watched the X-Files. <laughs> okay, and I'm, sh I'm sure you didn't watch Shocker. 
<laughs> he was Horace Pinker. You know me well, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently you should see it, according to Arnie. Bay has no sense of humor that works. If it's funny, it's because Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are making it up on the spot, according to Arnie. Jerry, do you like Bad Boys? Never seen it. <laughs> Never seen either one of them. Oh, hurt me. Unicron means one horn, right? But there's six of them. Well, Cron is time. Unicron. He's not, yeah, he's not a unicorn. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs>